I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Zach Groton. And we love to watch. We love to watch says, when you have to podcast, podcast. Don't not talk. So many fucking times since I watched it. Partially because we've moved recording a bunch and I'm like, uh, let me just uh, hear it one more time. I think, not favorite, but I think this is the second best movie we've ever done. Um, and I'm really excited to talk about it. And so we're, let's just get into it. This is uh, where we love to watch. We're a movie podcast. We pick a theme. We do movies over the course of a month around that theme. And if we remember, we compare and contrast. Our guests would have loved us to not be called We Love to Watch and uh, have us be called <laughs> Themed months um <laughs> we did not take a suggestion but we still invite him on it was actually um, it was themed months a podcast like with a, <laughs> with, a with a colon in the middle there it's you know the thing is that is more seo friendly than our first uh name for the first 12 weeks which was listen to our podcast <laughs> which was a funny joke that also made it somewhat unlistenable <laughs> for, for unfindable even by uh ourselves as the host but we brought Zach on again. It's been a little bit since he's been on, but this this one's important. So there's there's two things that I've since we've known Zach, he was our first guest on the show on our fifth episode. We talked about Godzilla. Besides Godzilla, the things that Zach likes are spaghetti westerns and kung fu movies. And we're doing uh, what I think is uh, I haven't rewatched Once Upon a Time in the West, which we're doing next week because this is once upon a time in we love to watch where we're doing the dollars trilogy by sergio leone and once upon a time in the west and this is the week we're doing what i think is the best western of all time um and one of my favorite movies of all time and i legitimately think one of the best like if i was doing a sight and sound bracket or you know you submit your 10 favorites or best movies this would easily be on it uh for me and and that's the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we've been watching so many spaghetti westerns. And, you know, a few for a few dollars more is so good. And some of these other ones uh, that we may, like, uh, talk about a little bit today as extra spaghetti westerns that we've watched uh, are so good. I, you know, re-watching this one for the first time in a little bit, like five, six, seven years, I was like, am I going to still be like, oh yeah, this is just like the fucking best. Am, am I going to feel that way, having been inundated by not just so many spaghetti westerns that are fantastic, but, you know, watching it so close, in such close proximity to uh, Leone's other two amazing westerns. And, yeah, I 
having rewatched it a few days ago. Yeah. No, I, I think this is the best. I just, I love Once Upon a Time in the West. This, this is a movie, Zach, you, you messaged it to us, but I felt the same way. Like, there's an hour and 15 minutes gone in this movie, and I feel like I've been watching for 10 minutes. And I'm not surprised rewatching it with, with a very, like, focused on why do I love this movie so much, that this is the movie that made me go, oh, holy shit, westerns are great when I finally saw it in high school. But we'll get there. Uh, I am so excited to talk about this movie. Uh, this is one of the few movies where we may get the runtime of the episode under the runtime of the movie, <laughs> at least uh, at least if we're counting the international cut. But uh, before we get there, Zach Groton, our first guest on We Love to Watch, probably at his 10th appearance over five years, somewhere around there. Has it really been um, that many times? Probably. I mean, you have gotten excessively more contentious <laughs> with us. On subsequent appearances. But I think it only adds to the will they or won't they kick Zach off the show vibe. Um, <laughs> I think the o- I think the only movie I didn't like was Lethal Weapon. I forgot you were on a Lethal Weapon episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's probably because it was a smooth recording session. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Most of my memories of Zach being on is like having a party at his house, forgetting <laughs> he had to record, and and then like posting a message. We're Facebook friends, and Zach will be like, "I gotta watch this dumb fucking movie for this podcast." Does anyone know where I can watch it for free? Because I don't want to pay for it. Uh, or like his laptop die. Yeah, I watched. I remember watching Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, like. Such that I finished it and then started recording like five minutes later. <laughs> yeah. I- I think one time you didn't get a chance to rewatch it and just assured us you remembered it pretty well. It was uh, Superman 2, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. it was. So, when, I mean, yeah, so Lethal Weapon is not memorable because you'd watched it and you were engaged. When I, I when I, when I watched, when I did Superman 2, though, I had watched it within, like, the past, like, two years. It wasn't like, it wasn't like I was going on childhood memories, at least. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I know everything makes me horny, right? That's this movie, or is that all movies? I forget. Um, but yeah, no, Zach Groton, Zach Groton, thank you for coming back on this. This was a no brainer month when we were planning for 2021's themed months for the colon podcast. Uh, this was a no brainer to give you first selection of which of these movies that you were going to choose. You settled on good, the bad and the ugly. Why don't you introduce yourself to, uh, to our audience if they don't remember you from your last appearances uh, or, and, and tell everyone why you picked this one. Uh, well, I'm Zach Groton. You might know me from my previous appearances here. Um, I don't know. You might know me from el- elsewhere too, but I don't, I wouldn't know. <laughs> how you would um i i when they when they gave me the list uh when aaron gave me the list of movies that were gonna be in this this uh month i honestly don't remember what all was on the list now i just remember like it was like it's kind of the obvious ones but also then like i think there was what 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 else are you doing it's for a few it, it's dollars the more. three it's the dollars trilogy and then once upon a time oh so you're just doing the four real big leone things. yeah okay. yeah yeah and if months were longer we right. would have done uh ducky sucker yeah and probably snuck in once upon a time in america just for fun but uh, we'll, we'll probably circle back i think it. one thing that peter and i as we were watching we, we so i know we i can see why it's confusing to you because we messaged you that we're watching all these other ones okay. just because yeah yeah we've been getting super excited about these movies and have wanted a little bit more and both kind of uh together 
uh, decided that it would be a lot of fun to catch up on some of those spaghetti westerns I that we see. had had in like our DVD queues forever. But yeah, yeah, yeah. To. So yeah, so Zach, why why did you pick this one? I mean, this uh, is the one I would have picked too. Yeah, but I do feel like I d- you you seem like the type of person that would also be like, yeah, good, bad, and the ugly is great, but for a few dollars more uh, is like the it, it, you know that was actually I mean it's, it is a hard choice because it's not the deep cut, you know. Um, yeah. I think the obvious choices for this month would be A Fistful of Dollars or Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Because, you know, A Fistful of Dollars is the breakout. You know, it's what made Clint Eastwood a megastar. And it's, you know, it's it's not even actually Leone's first, Leone's first movie, but it's it's the one that kind of has been just kind of retroactively decided that's where it begins, you know? Because... Yeah, that's where um, the legend begins. Yeah, no one needs to the see fact. the Colossus of Rhodes. Yeah, and really, no one does. It's it's bad. It's not worth. <laughs> it's not worth watching. <laughs> um, you know, and it's kind. It's kind of got the. Uh, you know, it's the remake of you know Jimbo. So it's kind of got that going for it. And the good, the bad, and the ugly is just kind of this monument of a film. And so you know, for a few dollars more, and or Once Upon a Time in the West, are the more popular kind of. I don't want to say. I don't want to say hipster, but they're the. They're the the you know kind of offbeat. Oh, these are the actually the best ones right here. Yeah, everyone talks about those two, but these are the real best ones. But I, I honestly I don't I don't agree with that, and I don't think they're bad. Obviously, they're amazing films. All four of these films. Yeah. Um, but I really think the good, the bad, and the ugly actually is the best film Leone did. Um, and I also think on top of that. It's 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 like legitimately probably the best western ever made, um, yeah. Of of American spaghetti, what have you. Um, it's one of the best films ever made, I think. And I think it's just really there's not a lot of films like it. I think there's a, I think there's a lot of films that are like the other three. That's a exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> like like having watched so many, like of yeah. There's I mean there's a lot of movies. I mean there's there's there was movies before Fistful of yeah. Dollars that were a lot like a Fistful of <laughs> yeah. Dollars. One very specifically, legally speaking. Yeah. Um but I agree like um this movie even having not just watched the fir- the first two dollars films in close proximity but like 10 other spaghetti westerns this one feels completely different from from every it, it feels like when they yeah. copied Leone they copied uh you know his first two movies uh and once upon a time in the west but right. this one really this is the rare movie that has the consensus as the best that i think just truly is the best which is yeah. rare like i i don't know if it's possible for there to be a better western just because <laughs> this movie is somehow 3 hours of perfection yeah, like, and I think the I think the thing that backs up what Zach said for me is that we've been watching a lot of spaghetti westerns, and I've been I've seen a lot of just American westerns, non spaghetti westerns, uh, burger westerns. <laughs> uh, call, they call them they call them uh, 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 granimals westerns. <laughs> It's a purely American food. <laughs> yeah, mac and cheese westerns. Um, no, that's pasta. That's too close. Too close. Uh, I just feel like mac and cheese is very American. Hot dog um, westerns. The hot dog western. I feel good about that. It, it is is actually something that I don't think about when I, I I've seen this movie a bunch, right? Uh, it's something I don't think about when I think about this movie, and that's that it's it, it its entire second act conclusion 
is sad and resigned and is just reflecting on a historical tragedy that like the civil war didn't need to happen. Like we, like we didn't need to sacrifice a bunch of blood to edify the humanity of uh, black folks in this country. Like that, that we, we, uh, it shouldn't have needed to happen. People should have given up slavery. <laughs> um, should American democracy should not have failed that way. And Leone was a scholar of history and like he really like dug into um, this like feeling that like, okay, all these guys are running around in the middle of the West uh, hunting their own um, their own whims, which is pretty standard for Westerns. Uh And then it takes this 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 turn into this very sincere, very sad, like melancholic turn that like amidst all of this you know bloodshed for you know killing people for a fistful of dollars there was mass slaughter for a a pointless bridge um and i think that's actually why the movie works so well for me um is that like i've seen a lot of these spaghetti westerns american westerns i don't think any of them have managed such a tonal triumph as this movie we're like it's the most fun action movie in the world and then it'll parlay into a massive tragedy and you'll see that tragedy reflected on your characters. And then it'll very seamlessly transition back to being an, an absolute blast. Right. Like well, the last, yeah, and that's the something... last hour of this movie is just so like big. a tonal like orchestra. And I, and I don't even mean, I'm not even referring to Morricone's sto- score, but the the fact that Leone was able to command tone so well in the past, like for, the last like the 45 minutes, I think speaks to its power and why this felt like such a good close on the trilogy and why everything after this feels so elegiac. Why yeah. Once Upon a Time in the West and Ducky Sucker feel so sad. Well, Ducky Sucker feels very angry. I agree. But yeah. Once Upon a Time in the West is very sad. But I, you know, something I talked about in the Fistful of Dollars episode is like one of the things why these like, especially the spaghetti uh, westerns are really, um, you know, are are these like these almost like journeys into the mythical West is because, you know, they came, you know, most of these directors, Leone especially, came from a directorial background in the Peplum films, which were, you know, these Greek a- a- epic uh, sword and sorcery type, you know, uh, stories about uh, about like gods and monsters and kings and stuff like that. And usually about how like one individual within that is, is able to affect history combined with the fact that like American Westerns were extremely uh, popular in Italy, giving kind of a rise to, you know, them having the directors growing up with a mythic feeling around the American West and where Leone really separated himself from the rest of that, that pack, I think, and other people followed, but is that his, his stories were very much about uh, nihilism in the face of the epic movement of history. And in that not nihilism for the sake of nihilism, but nihilism is the only rational reaction to basically historical event, uh, events that you are too small to affect, as opposed to the the characters in the Peplom film having an impact on these larger than life stories. You know, uh, the, the characters in Leone movies have no effect on, mm-hmm. you know, the march of industry or the civil war or anything else. They can be affected by it because it's almost like an environmental force that sweeps them through it. And this this really is the movie that gets what Leone was always going for, I think, in that in that kind of like drilled down nihilism in the face of of history and really, really hones it, I think, as a as a theme of just, hey, here's, you know, the, the Civil War is a is a genocidal nihilistic backdrop that 
these these they they're these people are not impacting in any way right like they are they're having no impact on the flow of history these are major historical events occurring it's also not their interest because they have they have lived long enough and in this world to see that you know life is short and and getting gold is the only thing that's worthwhile so they almost like it's almost like they're surfing the tide of history like you know they jump on a wave in the civil war and play dress up where it gets them closer to their goal but you know fighting for the north fighting for the south from their perspective isn't going to make a, a difference in the uh the the complete apathy of history mm-hmm. and it, it I, I was very worried when i was watching this again i was like would this is this going to veer into lost causeism um and i don't think it qualifies um it's 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 uh it's sympathies are are with the poor schmucks that got stuck in the middle of all this um and it has absolutely no no romance for dixie yeah i i think it more i think it's less lost cause and more as war is a complete waste of a cause right like it's a wasted it's a waste of life um and you're right like leone is definitely not saying like there's there's elegance in the south victory but i think he also is just like the fact that the the north had to you know sink down to the level of war it just he doesn't find righteousness in the action of killing each other even for you know i think you would make the case and i would make the case from the northern side for a for a very good cause and i mean that's also speaking from another thing we talked about which is you know he he grew up in fucking you know fascist italy Mm -hmm. too and just saw the war machine of europe as like a waste of his country his livelihood his dad's livelihood especially who was a director who was forced to i think either go into exile or go into hiding as a result of house arrest yeah so i mean you know he 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 definitely sees war as just a complete fucking waste. And I think Leone would say like, you know, the Italians and the, and the Germans um, were the villains, but the fact that, you know, England or, or France or whoever else had to devote so many lives to it is just ultimately just a fucking waste. It's a civilization. It's a very, it's a very, uh, it's a very similar attitude towards war to like Vonnegut. Yeah, like he didn't. He he like he's one of the few writers to really write about World War II explicitly and not like romanticize the Allies' effort in any way, and and you know because a lot of a lot of anti-war people kind of start after World War II. It's like, yeah, war is bad, Korea and Vietnam, but World War II we had to do that one. But I think that was that always kind of stuck out that. Vonnegut was very not just anti-war of the bad ones, you know, the ones that we have collectively agreed were a waste, but anti-war across the board. And yeah. as a veteran of World War II who saw the firebombing of Dresden, you know, he 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 didn't have any he didn't have any romantic, you know, he didn't have any romantic ideas of oh, we were over there and it was all for the, you know, everything we did was right and good because no, he saw otherwise. And, and he knew that, you know, these were children that were being sent off to war to, you know, to the slaughter. And I think there's a very similar attitude here. I mean, I don't know that it necessarily has anything profound to say about the civil war in specifically. Yeah. But I think it does. It uses that as a backdrop for his own attitudes just on war overall 
and and that he's not he's not really interested in 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 portraying one side as the good guys and one side as the bad guys, even if there is a side that is we kind of want more to, just yeah that we want to prevail. Um, he still sees it as a law lo- as a waste of life as a waste of uh you know as 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 a as a endeavor made by people who aren't putting their lives on the line of you know at, at the expense of those who are um well yeah that's i mean that's this thing in a fistful of dynamite too which is like yeah. the idea of like um uh, you know these people that are fighting for a socialist uh, revolution, which in theory is a just cause that he support. Like he clearly is against capitalism, and um, and 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 really highlights all the people harmed by a form of capitalist, which which is in that movie, as I remember it, like supporting a socialist uprising. Like the oh, socialist yeah. uprising is still like bankrolled by capitalism as a way to essentially. Um, bring about their means to an end and not actually giving justice for the, the, the people. And so like, yeah, I mean, that's a really good example of a movie where he's, 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 he's not saying that like socialism or the idea of equality is, um, it's not one that's worth with, it's worth pursuing, but that like, even those, you know, quote unquote, socialist revolutionaries, a lot of times are just committing violence for violence sake. And in this case, like bankrolled by capitalists. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I agree with you guys, and I think that like there's there's a key moment in the late battle where they're talking to a extremely drunk captain um, who's basically just drinking to ward off PTSD and ward off the fear and ward off anything, <laughs> any sort of like true feelings. Um, and he says one thing in common: all of us reek of alcohol. Like he's uh he he's basically speaking to the idea that like. Um, a lot of the people on the the front lines, like they're they they're inebriated, literally or symbolically, and they are just being clashed to get up against one another, um, in these sort of like pointless petty squabbles to fight over the stupid fucking bridge. And he hates the bridge. He hate bridge. Uh-huh. <laughs> but he's like, well, I could never dream of of taking the bridge down. They would have me, you know, court martials for that. Um, and then there's an amazing thing, like. That like, uh, essentially the the uh, Blondie, which we, we've got to talk about that. Like that's a little bit of a little bit of uh, category fraud or something. Clint well, but the blonde. but the bridge thing, I think it is like if you want to get a metaphor for what. Let's Leon not talk about going. the bridge. Let's talk about the well. Thing. No, I want to talk about one thing with the bridge <laughs> before we move on and talk about it later. But I like that. Like if you want to know the metaphor, I think that like speaks so loudly that the Ohlone is going for here. It's that like. They're not able to cross the bridge until it's it's uh, until everyone's dead, right? <laughs> yeah. Like they can cross the river when the bridge is essentially no more and blown up and people are dead. Like that that is the metaphor. Like the the idea that with a bridge existing, as long as there's like fucking worthless violence and stuff like that, you can't get across it. The actual best way to cross the river is to just blow up everyone. Everyone dies. The bridge is gone. And now that this fucking pointless exercise in two people shooting cannibals at each other is gone. Now you can just peacefully cross the river. Yeah. And and so uh, Blondie says, a man with no name says, uh, after an entire movie of just shutting his mouth, like he he doesn't say much in this movie. He has a few quick lines because like... he's so mad at Leone. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that. 
And uh, yeah, I was gonna say is he did have some some. Uh, I was gonna say is Eastwood did have some some um, squabbles with Leone, and uh, one of them was just over. Um, he wanted less dialogue. He just wanted to speak less. He thinks the character should be more enigmatic, not have as much backstory, not have as much character revelation, like just be more enigmatic and more legendary. And after all that, he says something, he's never seen so many people wasted so badly. And you can see that in like the flashes in his eyes in Fistful of Dollars, but he would never say anything like that, like in Fistful of Dollars. Like this is, they park the movie for a moment so that, this guy that you only known as this like self-serving anti-hero all of a sudden steps up and he's like this is a crime this is horrible like this should not be happening yeah yeah i, I think that actually like i know i i'm not gonna get get into the thing where they're the same character as like minko and everyone else because i don't i don't think that's even a worthwhile discussion point but like you do see um the clint eastwood like persona soften throughout these movies right he's at his most like you know a little stinker yeah. in a fistful of dollars and it does seem like he just is just tired in this movie yeah right like he's tired and yeah he's just so like quiet and has no flair and even uh even like when he's you know kind of double crossing uh uh anyone in this movie he just is kind of like yeah i don't know whatever like <laughs> like whatever um and it's it's a really like i i don't i don't think clint eastwood was like this specific in his craft um just based on like the interviews i've read about him making this movie where he just was actually super annoyed at leone the whole time which is why he refused to work with him again and wasn't in uh once upon a time in the west even though leone came to la to beg him to be in the movie but like it's almost like he's like trying to see how little he can do in each scene but yeah, it feel that's what it feels like. Like he just kept trying to dial down mannerisms and uh, and the way that he pronounced words and everything else to just get us as little as possible, and that makes it even more effective. Yeah, it, it, there is like a there is like a kind of a dynamic where the world that the three of them, but primarily Tuco and Blondie inhabit, is a world without really any rules other than get by and survive and get ahead (laughs) and the world that they keep kind of running into and getting stuck in and pretty much every every impediment along their way is is a result of this is a world where there are strict codes of of warfare of you know conduct as a soldier you know, and of, of rules of engagement that like kind of stifle them because it's still the same, it's still the same cutthroat attitude. It's still the same, you know, nihilism, but it's got this veneer of, of, you know, of, and there's no Geneva Convention, obviously, this time, but it's got this veneer of respectability of, you know, prisoners of war being taken. And whereas, you know, they just kind of want to stab each other in the back until so they can get a step ahead. And, you know, they end up having to pretend to be soldiers. They have to be. And and I, I think that's the that's one of the interesting uh, just kind of themes is that they understand a world with no rules and it works for them whereas a world with rules 
which doesn't seem to be any more really civilized, is what kind of keeps them from getting where they need to get. Yeah, this weird, like, uh, almost like faux camaraderie yeah. feels like gross and fake to them as opposed to like look the only i know i know there's a constant here and that is we are all in it for ourselves <laughs> yeah yeah and and like like only tuco is constantly getting frustrated by all the backstabbing which is very you know right for his character <laughs> but like blondie and angel highs kind of get the yeah fuck you're playing I, the game. Like, that's yeah. the, to, to borrow a phrase. Like, they're all playing the game. And, like, yeah. they only kill people that are trying to play the game at them, right? Like, right. They, tu, Tuco, Tuco doesn't kill the shopkeep um, that, that sells him guns, right? He just robs his guns and he, miss, you know, wishes them off on his merry way. Yeah. Um, tu, Tuco, and then the guy that, uh, the guy that comes in and, and tries to kill Tuco in the famous famous comedic line, if you're gonna shoot, shoot, don't talk. <laughs> um, that 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 moment is Tuco um, being like, "You don't understand the game. You're playing. You didn't understand it when you came and tried to kill me. I forgot. <laughs> you definitely don't get it now. You somehow got dumber between now and back yeah. then. And now I forgot. Least back then, you brought two more guys. <laughs> yeah, <that's true. laughs> I forgot until I watched it again this time that that guy is the same guy from the beginning. I probably yeah yeah like I I forgot that that's like a thread like that those who knows what they, who knows I, what I'll they're admit after. I've seen this movie a bunch and this is the first time that I've I've actually like noticed that I was like so many people get fucking murdered yeah, in this movie I was I'm, like I, and I just assume <laughs> it's Tuco is like Blondie they all have these dark pasts right Spe- speaking of the the opening um the first shot of this movie is so brilliant so good because like it starts out in this like vista you know. The typical Western opening of just this desert, you know, with all the, you know, the landscape. And then just this dude just swings into shot. And all of a sudden it's an extreme close up on this craggily looking guy. And like, well, there's not like it's a very unique shot. Like, I yeah, that kind of like people making these uh, just amazing looking uh technoscope yeah. um widescreen like um uh panels like becoming these like amazingly uh detailed close-ups just by someone moving into yeah. frame is such like a perfect leone touch i will also like i this this could potentially be the most controversial thing i say all episode i think from a scenery like scenery wise i think this is like the best looking western from the feeling of like man i i don't have nostalgia for the old west i grew up in in the midwest and uh i fucking don't like like i actually think like open plains is kind of um uh ugly like give me give me a forest give me give me an ocean give me something give me something to look at uh this is the only movie that makes me like actually go god to be out there riding a horse yeah getting all dusty like it's so fucking good looking it is and, and again even compared to the other leone movies i think this is just a standout yeah and yeah, and I, I, one of the reasons I moved to San Diego was like I wanted to go out and hike and be in the desert and like get out and like uh, see some of the shit, right? And like have like, like we're going to Arizona this month, um, 
uh, just see some of this part of the country because I think it's so beautiful. And uh, this movie is kind of like why like this stuff is all programmed into my my blood because like desert can be very unforgiving can be super obviously yeah. super hot like if you don't prepare like it can be uh grossly miserable as a uh, blondie sees in this when he gets marched by tuco um in a pretty gross scene leona's ma- makeup guy yeah. makeup guy or makeup gal really really put a lot of flaky grossness on uh poor clint eastwood's face he gets fucked um, up and this movie is a lot of the reason why i like find so much of it wasn't the john ford westerns it was it was the spaghetti westerns who had this wild sense of movement this like beautiful stillness and beautiful movement uh clashing up against one another but the yeah yeah, i mean this was this was the movie that you know i had seen in passing westerns right like i mentioned it i think most of us probably have some memory of like someone in our lives watching some western black and white western on like a sunday afternoon at 1 p.m and and then being like ah it's a movie but god it looks boring <laughs> right like do i watch this do i not and i i'd seen a couple and i just never um i, I remember i had a friend who like her favorite movie was cat blue and i think i watched cat blue and i'm like oh this is everything i imagined i would hate um <laughs> And I actually ended up watching that later and enjoyed it um, as a Western comedy. And Jane Fonda is really good in it. But like for a seventh grader, I'm like, this is yeah, this no. is not this is not what I want. I don't <laughs> understand how it's your favorite movie, Michelle. But uh, <laughs> it's terrible. And then I had a friend in high school, uh, a good friend of mine, who and he was like he was like my movie buddy for a while, right? Like, where I, I mean, I guess I had a lot of movie buddies in high school because that was how I made friends, much like adulthood. Um, and uh but his we i think we had known each other a couple of years when somehow i f- he finally mentioned that his favorite movie was good bad and the ugly and i was just like what like you like good movies and he's like have you ever watched the good the bad and the ugly he likes good movies he likes bad movies and he likes ugly movies <laughs> he likes all of them uh but i you know i admitted that i hadn't seen it i just like you know uh I just assumed it was going to be shitty, like everything like in my head about Westerns, which I know is like somewhat common for like uh, people in our generation around that age. But like so there was a lot hanging on Good, the Bad and the Ugly. It wasn't just I had to enjoy it as a movie like to to end up. It, it basically was uh, owning the weight of the genre on its head. Like, all right, like this is going to decide whether I keep watching Westerns after this in the same way that I've I've talked about on the show that I wasn't a big ha- fan of horror movies and when I. Um, even though I like the Evil Dead and the comedy stuff, like watching Dawn of the Dead for the first time was was like a oh holy shit, like this is amazing. And the Good and the Bad and the Ugly did that with Flying Colors. It was a movie that I was immediately enraptured by and was immediately like, I want more of this. Like I need to find the good ones and the not the bad ones because that's what I've been worried about. But if they're ugly, I get it. It's all VHS dubs. It's 1998. Um, and I need to watch all of them I can. And, you know, this is the type of movie that can is so fucking good. It can change your opinion on an entire job. Oh, yeah. The I, I think I think honestly, I don't know if I ever saw a Western before this one. Like it's the first time I would have saw it was I guess it would have been around 2004. They had it was uh, you know what it was is. They had just released like a like a special edition of the of all of oh yeah the DVD that was like the cardboard yeah box, they were like right? white with like gold lettering 
way too big, didn't fit in your shelf. And, kind of and it was also the cardboard box that you have to kind of lift up. Yep. It didn't like. I hated and, that. And, and that fucker t- tore, like, at, from I, the slightest wrong angle of taking it off. Like, if you didn't lift it up at the perfect with no. You know, if one corner came up a little too quickly, the other whole side tore. Um, and so the case was ho- horrible shit. But I, I bought those. And you know what it was? It was definitely, I mean, because I was, you know, a big Tarantino fan at the time. And I, I still am, but especially at the time. And I think I think it was that box that had his quote on the, on the, on the copy that said, like, uh, I jerk off to this. <laughs> I think it was said the best directed movie of all time. Yeah. Quentin Tarantino. It's definitely the most directed movie <laughs> of all time. And then and you know, he was and I Until Bohemian Rhapsody. I had out, seen but. I had seen, you know, Kill Bill by that point, and so I, I was familiar with the music. Um I that doesn't have any cuts from this, but it has the Morricone cuts yeah. in it. So I was familiar with Morricone in general and so I was kind of starting to, I was going through that that period of time where I I liked Tarantino and I wanted to see more movies like that, but I had been disappointed by his imitators. Yeah. And so I'm like, all right, well, who, there were so many bad oh, ones. What's this fucking killing Zoe? Oh fuck! There's so many. Kill her at the beginning. Get it over. With. <laughs> but so I was like, all right, well, what are these all these movies that he's referencing in his films? And so I'm like, well, all right, well, he says this is the best directed movie of all time. I guess I start there. And so, yeah. like, if I saw a Western before this, I don't remember it. I, I, I may have, but I don't, I never consciously watched one. Um, unless you count, like, Five Goes West. Um, which I guess is, I guess you can. I, I, I would count it. But yeah, so it's, it was a movie that, like, it, it yeah, I, I, I came to it from the angle, I think, pretty much predisposed to, to be into it, just because, you know, Tarantino's mark of approval was a lot at that point in time for, you know, a teenage boy. Um, I mean, he still is like, oh, yeah, I, he's you know, still a, Tar- but like he, he is good at like when you were trying to figure out like, hey, because he has a list of the 20 best spaghetti Western. Yeah. And I pulled from that as I started watching. Oh, yeah. these. I mean, Tarantino is good as like, hey, what genre movies will I not be bored by? Yeah. He usually has a good list that you and, can find. And he's also, I mean, he's good at having some deep cuts in there, too. Um, yeah. But and but I do like that. No, the number one. <laughs> number one is Good Man, the Ugly. Oh, yeah. Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, yeah. But, yeah, so, like, it was, it was, you know, it was, it definitely flew in the face of what I thought a Western was. Because, you know, I, I knew the, I knew the, the parodies and the, and the stereotypes and such. But, so... But it, but it, it, yeah. I mean, I definitely saw Blazing Saddles before this. And, I don't think and I did. Other things of that. I don't. I may have, but I don't think I did. Um, and if I did, it didn't make an impression the first time I saw it because I probably didn't know what anything it was making fun of. But yeah, so like, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly definitely like it. It not only jump started my interest in spaghetti westerns, but in just westerns in general. Um, and spaghetti. Yeah, I love spaghetti. Um, uh, because of this movie, what, what I what I I think appreciate most about it is that you know it's it's the kind of great movie. I, I think there's a, there's could be a downside to this being your first real western because yeah, <laughs> it is it is all downhill from here. <laughs> we yeah. talked about that with Evil Dead too. How like I've been chasing the high of like a horror comedy <laughs> on that scale for yeah. 
but you <laughs> for know literally decades and like this i've just never found a <laughs> horror comedy that like give, gives me that that fucking buzz that like electric live wire buzz oh where yeah I'm, like, laughing and then i'm like gasping within a same minute one thing i think though and it ties into where we started this whole conversation is that the, the good the bad the ugly is kind of a like a a film kind of not like any other not like any other western and not like many other movies the only other movies i can think of to compare it to are movies that are very clearly taking a lot of inspiration from it um like good bad and the weird is you know kind yeah of a, a parody that takes place in manchuria yeah that's a, that's a um, cool western but that's a direct you know but title. oh yeah but like once upon a time in the west has become kind of the the like it's kind of shifted to where that's the that's the good that's the magnum opus like yeah oh the other three are good but this is where he really got good but what i disagree with that and i think i think this is why is because and once about time in the west was literally made by him and uh argento and bertolucci sitting down and saying let's make a western built from pieces of other westerns and just going through every like trope and cliche and iconic you know story beat and and just building a story out of those such that you can pretty much point to every moment in once upon a time in the west and say oh it came from this movie now i think that's actually i mean it's brilliant because it ends up deconstructing a lot of those things it ends up kind of remixing them in interesting ways and it does kind of feel like this mega western like like this is the the western right because, yeah, if we're gonna yeah. if we're gonna say goodbye to the western, might as well do it like this. Right, but the good, the bad, and the ugly is is not so self conscious in how it's made. I mean, not that it's not like it's still it's still very much like revisionist, you know, whatever you want, whatever that means. You know, it's definitely engaging with ideas of the West and myths of the West and 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 both both celebrating them and also like deflating them dismissing them yeah. yeah but it's also not really interested in that primarily that's kind of i no. think a side effect of the fact that leone is has a particular view of the west and he's interested in telling a story in the west like i find that once upon a time in the west is interested in that like that's that's very clearly let's let's take on the myth of the west whereas good the bad and the ugly does that incidentally it just happens because that's yeah that's just how he thinks and so sure when he tries to do that he does it well he does it amazingly well and he makes a masterpiece when he's not even trying to do that he still does it really well because that's just how his mind works and in the process he ends up telling this like fucking amazing story that's just like moves like at, a, at an amazing clip never really slows i say never slows down it does take it, it takes a breath every now and then you know in ways that are good for the pacing but it never it never drags and and over three hours that's that's um like i, I can't think of other movies that do that like I, I can think of other long movies that are obviously incredibly I, I think you gotta look at like a Scorsese movie. Like yeah. I feel that way about like a casino or something yeah. where it's like, you know, three and a half hours. Or like Seven Samurai. Them. But like Yeah. Like But even that it, even Seven Samurai has a very clear and apparent structure, right? Yeah. Like it's it's very neatly divided into 
Act 1, Act 2, and Act 3, they're just long and devoted to the really fine character work that makes that movie what it is, right? Yeah. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is just, like, pure incident, right? The characters have a goal. I mean, it's, 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 when I actually sat down and tried to, like, summarize the movie, I'm like, this is not much, not much to it, really. They find that there's gold, and they try to find the gold. Yeah, that's why it feels like a road, it feels like a road movie to me. Yeah, yeah. There are no, you know, proper roads, and, um. <laughs> or like, a, or like a 40s, like a Flash Gordon serial, where, like, Raiders of the Lost Ark would come from, except it, it has the perspective of coming from three different characters. Yeah. Who are all constantly trying to figure out how to get ahead of the other two like it has this yeah i agree the structure is insane because you you are constantly getting the point of view of three separate people who are all trying to get one over on the other people yeah and that means like team ups and all these other things and it's just you know that's 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 you sometimes see that with with the the road movies or the serial movies or stuff like that with two people um, I I don't want to make it sound like I'm the fucking like onion article from like fuck it we're doing five blades and like <laughs> fuck it three people trying to get it. but like I don't think I've seen it where it feels this relatively balanced which is yeah. you know we'll talk about this when we actually switch into the like plot and circumstance of the movie but like so well balanced by the first like essentially like forty minutes getting you a really close look at all three of these characters so you kind of know everything you need to know about them before you move on to all the different mix em ups that's going to occur. Right. You know, you know, another thing I thought of, um, is that like, the only thing I can, I, I mean, I don't really have a good example of this off the top of my head, but I just think like, imagine if this movie were made today and they said, all right, we're going to keep it at three hours. Uh, we're going to remake the movie. I, I imagine a whole first hour of this movie would be spent on introducing the three leads the three title characters with some kind of backstory yeah have you there's none of that here there the only the only way it tells us who these characters are is by their actions there's no like they obviously know each other because they they just the way they talk like, you know, whenever Tuco and uh, Blondie end up in the prison camp, they say, hey, it's Angel Eyes. I mean, there's obviously a relationship yeah. that exists between the three of them prior to the start of the movie. We're never given any indication of what that is. We don't know how they know each other. We don't know what they've yeah, been he- through. And we really don't even know about them indiv- as individuals other than what we see. Like, it introduces each one in a little, short little vignette of... That kind of gives a, a basic idea of their character. Tuco as kind of this like flat escapes by the skin of his teeth, uh, scoundrel angel. Yeah, that he uses his like mouth yeah. and is like, um, you know, desperate and pleading. Like yeah. he he doesn't have the um, he doesn't have he's uh, the way that I I saw it put that I thought was so perfect is like both angel eyes and um. 
and Blondie are sniper rifles, right? Yeah. Like they they have a laser focus, they have a goal, they're gonna hit their target and move on. Like Tuco's a fucking shotgun <laughs> blast, right? Yeah. Like he's just gonna shoot whatever he can do in a moment to get what he wants. Right. And it seems to work for him in most cases because, like, yeah, he also took down eight people he didn't mean to, but he ultimately accomplished uh, what he wanted to do. Right. And also, Tuco's fucking means of having his weapon on, like, so Angel Eyes and Blondie have, uh, you know, special holsters, right? Um, Tuco's is on a string. Yeah. He He has the run of a gun shop. And he's still like, oh, I just need my string and to tie a, a rope around the ring on the bottom of this pistol. <laughs> and he just hangs around his neck like it's yeah. a like it's a it's a totem. It's so strange. And but in the in those opening segments, you know, we get Tuco's, you know, kind of fly by the seat of his pants, escape by the skin of his teeth, get to the next thing, and then escape that when that goes south. And then you have Angel eyes as just kind of honestly, this is, this is interesting to me is that like, there doesn't seem to be, I think the line between the good and the bad is actually very thin here. <laughs> like, <laughs> same, same. I, mean, I think, I think that's the, point. I know of course, but like, it's kind but of they funny. They paint their names on. Yeah. Right. Like, like if it was a conversation earlier on that says, Oh, there's good men. There's bad men. And there's ugly men, but no, they like paint good, bad, ugly on their yeah, faces. Twice. Like angel eyes is a, you know, cold remorseless killer, but he obviously follows a code. The guy he, he was sent to kill pays him to kill his boss and he does it because he always does what he's paid to do. That's, but like, but like, what? How is that so different from Blondie's, you know, repeatedly turning in Tuco and then subverting justice by freeing him, and then pocketing the money? Like, I mean, I guess he's not killing anyone, but like, he also does kill people. I don't know. Like I said, it's yeah. I I, I think that's the whole. Point, oh yeah, right? for like, sure. The idea that, like, they're good, bad, or ugly, or anything like that, like, I mean, ugly is more just a description, like, right, like, (laughs) the idea that, but I I think that's even his point with, like, the way that he zooms in on, like, um, you know, the the Civil War battle, right, like, like, taking aside the, the idea that, obviously, one army was fighting for a good cause or a bad cause, at the end of the day, they're just two people shooting cannonballs at each other in different color like outfits like in that moment right in the moment that our characters encounter them and so i think that's the perception is that yeah uh you know angel eyes is a little bit more ruthless and takes a little bit more joy in it like he definitely seems to like 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 he he relishes he's he's less he's less worried about a path of least resistance that that um like he seems more likely that if the way the shortest distance between two points it, it involves killing thirty people, what does it matter? That's the shortest distance. Yeah. And Blondie seems a little bit more like he will kill people, but at the end of the day, uh, he's not going to go out of his way. To yeah. Do, which I guess is like the the but 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 at the end of the day, they both want money. They both will kill people to get that money. Like it's it's a measure of degrees, not opposite sides of the yeah. spectrum. Oh, for sure. I mean, like even yeah. even 
And even even then, still, though, Blondie definitely still takes a certain joy in kind of tormenting Tuco. Well, who wouldn't <laughs> after? I mean, he, he's hung around that guy for a while. <laughs> and he, he le- I mean, he does do something that's, like, fairly wicked, which is, like, he leaves Tuco still tied up in the middle of the desert and basically says, like, with the yeah, only pl- might survive. With the only place for him to go, the place that he's 60 wanted. 60 miles! Yeah. It's, it does seem it's like a long you, Here, like head a back to town time. where you'll be executed. <laughs> like... But again, it seems less like, oh, well, this makes sense in the moment. Um, I'm going to do it. Yeah. I like I do feel like when Angel Eyes takes a little like Angel Eyes, Eyes would have got the money the first time and killed. Yeah, him. he like, would have shot him know. dead. Yeah. Because why? Why? Why risk the I, maybe that is like it's just a it's it's not so much a, a character descriptor, but it's like a code like. Blondie's like, I'm going to do what's best for me, and that can involve killing people or leaving people or deserting them or double-crossing them, but it's fair play, right? right? Like, if you can get the 60 miles to the town and come after me, I'm not going to be pissed when I see you again. Yeah. And Angel Eyes sees that as a loose end, that why would I do that when um, fair play is about me ending up on top, not about um, giving anyone a chance to get through yeah. it. Um, but I think we're 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 really actually just getting into the meat of the movie, so I think it makes sense. Are you guys ready to talk even more about the good, the bad, and the ugly, or the way this movie frames it: the ugly, the bad, and the good. You know, it's interesting. Absolutely, what's interesting about that to me is that you know it seems like oh they do it in reverse order from the title, but the Italian title, the order is the good, the ugly, and the bad. So it's not even in reverse order. It's in no order yeah, because it, no because because anarchy was the only. Honestly, I think was the I think only. I think the it's a phonics thing. I think right. I think I think honestly, it's 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 the the order that they're presented in both at the opening and the close is order of importance. Like I I mean I know it's the man with no name trilogy, but this is really Tuco's movie. A hundred percent. Yeah, Tuco's it's his movie. story. Yeah. Like. In the same way that, like, Seven Samurai is, you know, an ensemble piece, but it's it may as well be the story of Kikujiro, you know, Mifune's character. This is Tuko's movie. Like, he is the star. He is he is the guy who gets probably has more lines than everyone else combined. Um, <laughs> more screen time. You, you yeah. like he has friends that he gets killed immediately. Yeah, and like. He, like yeah, hundred percent. Which actually is again why Clint Eastwood got, was getting so annoyed because his quote, uh, and I'm paraphrasing a little, but this is almost exactly what it was. Was like, you know, I did the first movie, and then you know they had two guys in the second movie, and now there's three guys in this movie. <laughs> like, what's next? It's me and the whole American cavalry. It's like, <laughs> like he 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 was not thrilled with his diminished importance as as his star was getting yeah. bigger and bigger. And 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 uh, you know, uh, Lee Van Cleef is one thing, right? Because Lee Van Cleef, it, it all goes back to Leone wanted American stars, right? We talked about that with Fistful of Dollars, yeah. how he really, you know, he's, he's been trying to get Henry Fonda, yeah, Henry he, Fonda, yeah, and uh, he ended up working with Henry Fonda yeah. on a movie he didn't end up directing, but actually did direct. Uh, My name is nobody. Well, no, also, also, Once Upon a Time in the West next week. Yep. And um, so he uh, he he craved these American actors for like I think a sense of respectability or just like a sense of romance for American film, and he ended up casting Clint Eastwood because you know he had a, a bit of that 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 energy, but you know he wasn't famous yet. Then he made Clint Eastwood famous, or Clint Eastwood made himself famous through Leone, and then Lee Van Cleef 
you know, rode up through Leone as well. Um, because he, he was, you know, a, a sort of, um, also ran as an actor. Like he's a great actor, but you know, just Hollywood spits out, you know, people that people all the time, great talent all the time. Um, so like that's one thing, but Eli Wallach was like, you know, a respected actor, respected New York actor. And like that, you know, he, he, he got brought on just because like he was charmed by, by his own standards. He said like, I was charmed by Leone and I thought it'd be fun to go to Italy and or (laughs) to Spain and shoot a movie. Um, he's like, I never heard of a spaghetti Western, but it seems, you know, like a, a good time. Um, and, like, that's where I could see Clint being like, all right, well, Lee Van Cleef is off shooting westerns all the fucking time. Like, Lee Van Cleef's career exploded. He lives after. in southern Spain at this point, <laughs> just waiting for someone to point a camera at him. Yeah, and he made the Sabata movies, and he made yeah. Day of Anger. He made all these, like, really great yeah. westerns. Death Rides a Horse, yeah. 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 Death Rides a Horse. He made a lot of great, great westerns. Um, but, you know, he, he, he was acting pretty regularly. And he, But Eli Wallach was like, you know, that was that was Leone starting to scratch up into the the upper echelons yeah. of uh, of American film. Uh, and then and then once upon a time, you, and once you get to once upon a time in the West and you get to Ducky Sucker, he's got big names. He's working yeah, big names. Big names. Yeah. yeah can we do can we do the giant domino meme? Where it's Henry Fonda won't star in A Fistful of Dollars, and then the big domino is uh, Clint Eastwood talks to a chair and gets the first black <laughs> president elected to a second term. <laughs> That's great. The uh, I, I, I don't know if you read any of the excerpts from uh, Wallach's memoir about the filming of the movie. I did. But, no, oh, I, I've seen, I watched some interviews with him, but I haven't read he, uh, his, his memoir. He... He 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 speaks of it basically. I mean, he speaks of it fondly as as someone in his I think eighties when he wrote that uh, could, while also admitting that like he almost died <laughs> several times. Yeah, a few times. Yeah. I did read about that in some of like, the making of when like, he he had like three occasions yeah. where he almost got well, killed. Well, when he yeah, there's when he when he's in the scene where he has to get the chain off of his wrist because he's chained to a union officer. He puts the union officer's dead body on the train tracks and the chain on the rail so that when a train comes by, it destroys the chain. And there's like an actual train that just <laughs> moves like inches from his head in that scene. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like silent movie style. Like this is actual danger <laughs> that he's in. And he's in, and usually and at least with your favorite director, he was putting himself in danger. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Zach. Yeah. With Keaton, it was, you know, all right, I'll jump off this building. Um, <laughs> it's my fucking movie. I'll do it. And Jackie Chan, you love Jackie Chan yeah. too. He, he he was like, I put so much money and producer power into this. I'll be the one doing right. this shit. Um, and then there's a, then there was a place. So in the final scene, when they find the gold, there's a they, there's a shot where they bust the bag of gold open with a shovel. And in order to get yeah. that shot to happen in one shot, they they use some acid to basically like make the bag so threadbare that just one tiny little hit would bust it open right well the for some for whatever reason because the safety standards were not were non-existent the acid was kept in a soda bottle which was a brand of soda that like that was also like being served uh and you know frequently drank on set (laughs) and so eli wallach (laughs) eli wallach had become like kind of like addicted to these little italian sodas and so he looks over and he's you know it's like 100 degrees and he's like 
all right, I'm going to get a little sip of this. And he takes this big swig of acid. <laughs> and then he uh, spits it out. And so it's, it's, he, he, I, I think that was the time where he's like, he, he almost left the set or did leave the set and was like, I'm not done with this. And I mean, that doesn't seem like too bad. Like worst case scenario there. <laughs> he has no. Instead of, instead of playing Mr. Freeze on the 60s <laughs> Batman show, he plays Two-Face, yeah, right? Exactly. Uh, I don't remember the third one, but I'm sure, I mean, like. I know that when they blew up the bridge, uh, this is another fun little anecdote. When they blew up the bridge, in order to blow up a bridge, they couldn't just be, you know, blowing things up willy-nilly. They had a a uh, general from the Spanish uh, army on hand to kind of supervise and, and uh, you know, oversee it to make sure it was done properly. And... The the general only spoke Spanish, and Leo and Leone only spoke Italian, and Wallach and uh, Eastwood and Van Cleef only spoke English. So like you know, there's already a ton of miscommunication going on. Like you know, the most well communicated group of people. They were shooting, and for whatever reason, the general decided to blow the bridge up when they weren't <laughs> even running cameras. Just like huh. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> so and, and Leone looks around like, what the fuck? And realizes what's happened. He goes down and starts yelling at the general. They get into a big fight. Uh, and they have to rebuild the entire bridge. Reset the explosive. I mean, like, they built a bridge. Like, it wasn't some, you know, miniature. That was a full-size bridge that they blew up. <laughs> and they had to rebuild it and reset the explosives and do it again with cameras rolling that time. That might have been the third time. <laughs> I don't know. That's that's insane. That like yeah. they're like, Bloop. okay, hold on, we're gonna blow up the bridge in a little bit, and someone's like, blow up the bridge. I heard blow up the bridge. Basically, yeah. I think that's what happened. I, I heard the big boom. I think I think the general heard, you know, kind of vaguely understood enough, you know, Italian because Spanish and Italian have some have some linguistic. Yeah, as my as my high school Latin yeah. teacher would say, they're all romance. Yeah, languages. I think he I think he vaguely understood. Oh, blow up, boom, <laughs> and Jeez. there you go. Uh, nice. yeah. Uh, but yeah, let's let's get into it more. Let's talk about the good, the bad, and. <laughs> alternate taglines oh man oh man why do we keep doing this why do you keep doing this to me is, is it's been five hard? years just accept it like when why I'm... we've gotten rid of stuff we don't like before yeah but not this because you don't like it that much you guys you guys don't do uh games anymore yeah <laughs> we stopped that like three years ago and that's probably been the biggest uh driver to new audience members of our show that could possibly exist <laughs> i know I, I, the first like the first few times on this show it was like the first like hour had nothing to do with the movie <laughs> yeah i i'm not saying it wasn't a mistake it was a lot of fun um but uh, i don't know we kept it going for like two years <laughs> No one ever said anything like, this is a terrible idea. <laughs> uh, Zach, what's your middle name? Uh, Clay. 
and last four digits of your social. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, uh, the Groot, the Zack, and the Clay. <laughs> I was thinking more like just, how about just the good, Leone? <laughs> Uh, so why good. why take the good with the bad there, and the ugly? Don't there, even bring him into this. Isn't there the enough facts bad of life. in the world that you have to get? Yeah. Mm. That's a tweet yeah, right there. That's that's <laughs> fucking Leone. Always focusing on the bad. What about all the good things that Mussolini did, like train related? <laughs> uh, yeah. So this movie uh, it, uh, again, the first forty minutes are letting us know about these characters. So first, the ugly. Which is Tuco. Uh, we, the, the opening scene with him is uh, a bunch of people that you're not sure who they are. Maybe they're the heroes, but they try to kill him um, as they like all. There's like th- three of them that launch into the uh, into a saloon in the Old West. And he uh, makes his way out, uh, seemingly having killed at least a couple of them. And the, the ugly flashes on the screen. Then we go to Angel Eyes, played by Lee Van Cleef, who heads to this kind of old... Um, a farmstead or uh and is there because he is looking for uh some money that has disappeared that he is trying to get his hands on and he's kind of been paid to find that information as well as kill kill this person so they have a again in, in a great like there's essentially like 10 minutes of silence where he walks in the person grabs stuff and they sit down and um one of one of the really big advantages of a three-hour movie like this is that leone has tons of time for silence which is amazing um but uh he is trying to find i can't believe i'm forgetting his name it's just because i don't have it up in front of me larson something bill carson bill carson, uh, bill carson. there we go so I'm going to cut that Larson. out without imagining this. <laughs> uh, Gra- yeah, Gary Larson. He's trying Gary to find. Larson. He wants uh, to find that cow. That cow's been that up to cow. no good. Uh, yeah, but he's trying to find a Bill Carson who has stolen, we find out later, $200,000 in Confederate gold and has hidden it somewhere. Um, but if, essentially, he gets the information. He says, hey, I, I was paid to kill you. I'm going to kill you after the guy offers him a thousand dollars to just go away and not kill him and to get to go kill the person who sent him. So he kills him. But then again, to kind of get to angel eyes, he also doesn't have, I think this is where the bad comes in that we talked about. It's easier for him to kill when there's any form of resistance, uh, that guy's wife and his kid. And so he does that. Um, he's not he's not going to spare their lives because they're innocent or because they're women and children. Uh, and then the bad flash. Uh, then he goes uh, back to the guy that paid him to go find the information. He goes, hey, just FYI, wakes him up in his sleep. Um, this He gave me $1,000, I think, to kill you. And you know how I work. I always keep my word and pay my debts. He's like a Lannister. Uh, and puts a pillow on his fucking head and blows his brains out. I, I and a bunch of blood comes out. Shot. Like, it is like so decade. graphic so for good. any. So good. So good. It's been um, like a decade since I've seen this movie. And that shot has been burned in my memory. I was like, oh, man. And what? what I forgot that he shoots a kid before that. <laughs> Yeah. I know. Me, I forgot about the kid part. Like for some reason, it was just like, oh, well, he has a shotgun. Oh, she could come after me. Like he, he is not. He's not. As we talked about earlier, his like bad doesn't come from like his uh, willingness to kill as a, as opposed to the other people, but just that like I will do everything I can to protect myself and anyone who's putting a gun up at me or recognizing me is a risk. Um, but yeah, so then we get to the good, which is actually we're back on Tuco, who uh, gets gets uh, picked up by Bounty Hunter Blondie, played by Clint Eastwood. 
And he turns him in, gets the money. He's up hanging as they're reading all of his crimes. Uh, side note, I hope some of his crimes later in the movie are made up to gin up uh, ransom money. Because that's a, if not, that's a whole thing we have to go into and I, we don't have time for it. Um, uh, but uh, he, as he's being hanged, he gets uh, cut, cut free from a long shot from Blondie. Uh, who sets him free to run and then picks him up, and that's a scam that they're pulling. They're they're collecting on his ransom and his notoriety, trying to bring his ransom money up, and then Clint Eastwood collects the money, sets him free. No one ever seems to get wise that Clint Eastwood is part of this, um, and they run or off just that. to change the method of execution for this one criminal. <laughs> yeah, um, firing squad. That's popular in some oh, yeah. westerns. I you, watch. You tend to be a runner. I'm just going to take you out back and shoot you. <laughs> Oh no, my friend. Uh, so, so yeah. Then we, it focuses on the good, and that that is our good person in this movie. It's breaking the law, and freeing. It's breaking the law. Yeah. So you you have you have a lot of uh, again. We we talked about this as kind of episodic and uh, serial nature. You basically have a bunch of things that happen. So uh, Blondie turns Tuca loose, realizing that his. Because uh, Tuchel wants more of the share because he's putting his neck on the line. Blondie's like, well, you know, uh, if I get less money, I may miss. Um, <laughs> and kind of proves his point in the next encounter where he misses with his first shot. Um, and then there's kind of a knockdown dragout fight where Blondie's like, yeah, I, I don't think that you're actually going to get much up in ransom. I think this is the end of our partnership. Leaves him tied up, says it's 60 miles to the next town, rides off with the money. Meanwhile, uh, this is also a town where Angel Eyes runs into someone he knew that talks more about Bill Carson and where to find him. Uh, Tuco, uh, Tuco pursues, uh, eventually catches up with Blondie, uh, meets some old friends. We talked about him like going and getting a gun when he finally makes it out of the desert and like robbing the, the gun dealer. But, it, but the biggest uh, point is where Angel Eyes is still looking for Bill Carson. They end up in the same town where um, the Civil War cannons are coming in. They end up, uh, Tuco does get the drop on Blondie, uh, puts him up to hang. But instead of a gun, which is about to kill him, a cannon saves his life by destroying the entire building and and setting him free. But Tuco does catch up and eventually kind of ties him up as part of this march across the desert, which um, Clint Eastwood, again, suffers uh, some some pretty bad... uh, uh, desert face uh they end up running into the fake bill carson and a bunch of the dead confederates who give half of the secret of where the gold is to tuco who says where the cemetery name is and half to blondie um by saying uh where it's buried and in what grave uh and now tuco all of a sudden is about to you know let him to die and to uh dehydrate um uh, uh, die of thirst uh, in the desert now has to bring him to his brother who's a priest uh, in this wonderful scene that also like Tuco's been talking about how he doesn't have a family doesn't know his family his parents are dead um, you know and then you find out he has a brother and he learns from his brother that his parents have died so even like the myth that he's created for himself that is actually kind of superfluous like Blondie doesn't care if he has a family or not <laughs> but you find out how like he is just He's just full of shit, and that's that's his weapon. Is just constantly talking and being full of shit and saying things at like a, like a shotgun blast. But they're able to get Blondie back to life. They go to look for the cemetery. They end up uh, 
essentially uh, uh, Angel Eyes is pretending to be a Union general. They disguise themselves as Confederates. They end up getting captured. Uh, Angel Eyes tortures Tuco for the, the name of the cemetery, which he gets, but he doesn't torture uh, um, Clint Eastwood because Blondie, because he's like, yeah, you wouldn't talk. <laughs> so why don't we team up instead? Uh, but then again, in the, in the amount of uh, random team ups and pairings, eventually Tuco um, and Blondie end up together again. That's when they get stalled in this like, camp where they're on the union side with the drunk uh with the with the drunk general who has to get off the bridge uh eventually when when everyone ends up dead they're able to move and the bridge is destroyed they're able to move across the the water as we talked about earlier and then they end up in the cemetery with this great shot of two two they they're like hey this time let's be honest with each other we're gonna tell everything we know Tuco does tell Blondie the name of the cemetery Blondie kind of says where the gold is buried and gives that gives the name of the grave um, and of course, Tuco, first thing he chance he gets, um, runs off to kind of screw him over. And I love the scene of, of him seeing the cemetery and just the San Juan cemetery. And it's fucking like, how long would it take you to find any grave in here, let alone a grave if you didn't know the name? Um, but, uh, but he looks and looks and eventually finds it and, um, and then uh, he finds Arch uh, Arch Stanton, which is the name that he gets. He's, he's about to start digging, and then Clint Eastwood shows up and is like, "Actually, you dig and give me the gold." And then Angel Eye shows up and is like, "Hey, uh, actually, two people can dig much faster." Um, and as they dig, the gold's gone or it's seemingly gone, which which uh, Blondie knows and is like, "I'll tell you what. Here's what I'm gonna do." Uh, you want this? Let's just let's just have it out. We're gonna go and we're gonna have an old fashioned uh, shoot 'em up, little little uh, you know uh, pistols at dawn. I'm gonna put this rock that I'm gonna write the name of where the actual money is buried, and then whoever survives can get the rock and get the money. And uh, probably the most famous gunfight in cinematic history occurs, where uh, Clint Eastwood, Blondie's character, or sorry. A uh, blondie uh, knows that uh, a couple things. He he's so good in this moment. Where a he had taken the bullets out of Tuco's gun before he left, knowing that Tuco would likely double cross him. <laughs> um, so he knows that Tuco is not a threat, so he can just focus on one instead of two. And there's all this great cross cutting between the three of them. And that also that he's written, he's he's kept his word by writing the name. <laughs> on the rock which is which is nothing because the money is actually buried in the uh unmarked grave next to arch stanton so um even if he gets his comeuppance no one's getting the money because it's just a blank rock so with that knowledge he ends up killing angel eyes he has tuco he explains what he did to tuco has him dig out the money he says hey i keep my word too again they're all they're all men of their own codes but he uh gives his four bags of gold to tuco and then just like tuco made him do it forces him to get on a cross and ties a noose around his neck uh and probably the best i mean i don't know if there's a lot of competition but best noose reveal in any movie as well <laughs> the way he just oh, points yeah. up to it that's somehow been tied while he was digging is so fucking good 
Um, he's like, yeah, there's your money. I am going to leave you $100,000 in gold, like like was the deal. But you're also like, and I'm not going to kill you, but you're standing on this grade on your tiptoes, balancing in order to get it. Uh, but as he rides off into the sunset, the last thing he does is shoot him free. Although how free he is <laughs> in the middle of nowhere with four giant bags of gold is up to it. And that's the end of the movie. And it is, yeah. It's was so it? fucking bloody, every- you son of a... Ah! I know. It's so good. Speaking, <laughs> it's so good. Speaking of... God damn it. I want to stop recording and watch a three-hour movie. Speaking right of the, the shot of the noose, I think that's as good of any point to, to launch into just like the very unique approach to to the camera that this film has, which is that there's, there is a very consistent rule, and it's that the only thing that exists is what the camera yes. can see. <laughs> I love that. I was that that was one of the big things I like, want to talk about. I'm when, glad when, you got there they immediately. Are, because... Like for example, in the scene where they first come across the the bridge and the and the army encampments on either side, they're just walking along, and the ca- so they're walking towards the camera. The camera is tracking backwards, so it's fall it's following them as they're moving you know backwards, so that that we can stay tracking on them and see their face, and then. Into the frame come like five or six guys with guns up in their face, which by all logic they should have seen (laughs) because it's in their line of sight. And not only that, but they should have seen this entire, you know, (laughs) but but that's not how this movie works (laughs) because the way Leon's approach to the camera is, is what the camera sees, they see. (laughs) <laughs> exactly like that happens in a lot of his movies but this is the one i think where it's used, oh, it's used the most as like as like a punchline so often here well that's even like when they when they shoot tuco down and fucking clint eastwood fires off their hats is like a, yeah. i don't know like what is like, it, it feels like that what does that buy you that buys you one second <laughs> like uh no, joke. no I, I you know i <laughs> If somebody shot but once, my hat off, I would I would just immediately piss my pants. I, the, but there's like thirty that, people he shoots off way. four I mean, hats, like just bladder empty, like, <laughs> and then it would take, I, and that takes a few seconds, right? But he doesn't like he doesn't have enough bullets to shoot off everyone's hats, right? There's, there's many many times <laughs> there's other people bullets, there. Sucker. Like one of the people hand. that isn't isn't realizing how close they came with, but but the thing <laughs> is, is once. Once the town is not in the camera shot anymore, everyone exist. in the town ceases to exist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so it's so wonderful. And again, it, it explains it's, like it's one of those things that if it only happened a couple times, it would be like, oh, this is bad writing. Like, what, what why you know, cuz like I've seen movies like like I mean, The Room has a lot of those weird little inconsistencies or you know, <laughs> yeah. or or I, there's that very famous uh bad movie dangerous men where like the characters like are in a bar that by all accounts was in the middle of a city and they go out the back door and all of a sudden like they're on a beach that didn't wasn't there Uh but like this movie does all that does a lot of that kind of stuff but it just is consistent about it is that's how this works like well, it does. It does the same joke twice, right? In that San Juan scene, because we we have seen how fucking expansive. Yeah, how did they and not big see angel cemetery, eyes? <laughs> there's not hiding spots in the cemetery. It's like a valley, and it stretches for like football fields. Yeah. 
And and both there's <laughs> two separate times. Clint Eastwood might as well have magically transported in like Star Trek for how aware Tuco is. But like at least you could if you were worried about like a again a consistency or continuity or something yeah. that you go, Well, Tuco is just so obsessed. Yeah. He somehow an idiot. didn't notice for what must have been forty five minutes to an hour, someone riding up to him. <laughs> But like then it happens again, like to to Blondie as well. When all of a sudden Angel eyes, like the only way that works is again if it's not Star Trek logic. It's he was buried under the dirt and emerged <laughs> like a fucking zombie and got the drop on everyone. But it like it not only like doesn't matter, it works every single yeah. time. Like that is that's the world that you're being presented. Like, I think the modern version of that is when like a bunch of dumbass film bros would post stuff about like, Oh, in the dark night, you know, when he goes down into that tunnel and the Blatmobile and broad daylight, and then he comes out at night and it's like, Christopher Nolan must've made that mistake. And it's like, no, Christopher Nolan knew that it didn't fucking matter. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's- and, and that's, and it actually is more interesting for it, for it to him to emerge it at night. Uh, for what he wanted to do with the scene, yeah. so who cares, yeah. right? And and that's that's that was Leone's entire approach to this sort of thing. It's like, yeah, I don't want to have to deal with people pursuing them. I don't want yeah. to have to go and go. Is that a rider in the distance? <laughs> and then they wait fifty minutes until Angel Eyes shows up. Like, um, I want him to appear and for that scene to play out, and that's the scene I'm gonna even make. in that first shot. Of the movie, which, you know, where he goes from a, a landscape to a close-up. Like, the way the guy moves into the frame doesn't make a ton of sense. Like, it's like he sits up sideways is the only way I can think to really explain it. Because the way his head... <laughs> <laughs> but, like, who cares? Because it's, it's a good shot. <laughs> like, I don't know what he was doing before that before he existed in the shot. Because he didn't exist before he came into the shot. Yeah. If it's not on screen, it doesn't exist. Yeah, and I think that actually kind of adds to, like, this legendary yeah. quality to it. Where, like, you know when you're telling a story and you're like, I should have introduced that guy. Oh, yeah, by the way, this guy ago. was there. Yeah. <laughs> I should have I queued this up a little bit. It adds that sense of legendary story. Yeah. Like, Zach, the, the analogy that I've used a couple times this month about Blondie, Dash, the man with no name, <clears throat> is, is it reminds me of... um. Link from Legend of Zelda. Oh where, yeah, I was gonna say Mad Max. Yeah, Mad Max also works where it's like I don't part, I don't care about. I was gonna say Super Mario because he's also Italian. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't care if this chronologically tracks or yeah. if it makes sense that you know Fistful of Dollars would really make more sense if it took place in 1902 and uh, Good Man the Ugly has to take place during the Civil War. How is Blondie look? You know, only like two years older in this one. Yeah, like, whatever. <clears throat> um the uh the, the 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 i think of it as is link from legend of zelda where it's just like that it's it's like legendary storytelling where yeah. it's like there's there's common elements they build it the story the story gets kind of remixed it's almost like being passed down on like um uh word of mouth yeah um and it becomes uh a, a legend after that and I, what i love about that is that um when I'm watching the movie, all I care about is the agency of Blondie, Tuco, and Angel Eyes. And they're and it feels like they're all kind of legendary figures. And the thing about when you're reading about like Greek mythology mm-hmm. all the way down through, you know, Wild West figures, 
Um, you're, the, the chronological stuff doesn't really make sense. Right. How the fuck did this guy make it 200 miles when it took them a week to, to do that? Yeah. It's, it, it's them just popping up feels like legendary storytelling. And it also helps with the uh, exaggeratedness of this. The fact that this is such a heightened film that it doesn't feel realistic and no one, why would, why would you want it to be realistic? Right? Yeah. You want this movie to be more boring? <laughs> I, th- I mean, I think, I don't know that George Miller, I've ever read him like specifically cite Leone or this film or these films as influences, but like his whole approach to Mad Max as a series is so similar because they don't really fit. Like there's only the slightest continuity between the four films. And even if you just look at the first three, even then, like there's enough hints of it being a series that, you know, it makes sense to, you know, okay, this is the same guy. But like even then it doesn't really perfectly line up. And I think there's a lot except I mean there's there's one major difference though, Zach. Well he in in the in George Miller is like we know exactly what his name is. It's a it's such a huge that's part true. of movies. And and the man I would say it's the man with one extremely specific name. <laughs> yeah. Trilogy. The man with one name. Um this is this should be called the man with three names trilogy because he does have a name <laughs> in each one. In each one, yeah. But Manco Joe. It, uh, it, Joe. It feels like that's why he doesn't have a bounty on his head is because he keeps changing his fucking <laughs> <Yeah>. name. <laughs> but like that approach, like because you know there is the there's you know I've I've seen people have that theory that oh. Fury Road isn't Max from the first three. It's the feral child that grew up. Yeah, that's stupid. And it's the same It's the same thing I hear with, with this one. It's yeah. like, oh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is a prequel to the other films because he pieces together his costume from the from Fistful of Dollars all uh, until at the end when he has the whole, you know, poncho, hat, and uh, etc. No, 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 no. <laughs> like, although that does, like... I mean, having watched these in close proximity, I will say, like, not from a continuity yeah, perspective. It is a cool But thing. it does fucking, it fucking oh, yeah. that he ends up in the same Like, it's definitely, yeah. like, he's definitely playing with the iconography. It's not, like, yeah. an a- accident that that happens. But, like, it's so much more interesting to me and, f- and, and just fulfilling to me as that kind of, like, like, variations on a theme or, like, a, like a yeah. tellings of a myth than it is as oh how do these pieces fit they don't that's the point that's what makes that interesting well yeah it's like the james bond thing like right like it's do do you really care where like how george lazenby's uh james bond connects to pierce brosnan or is it just like yeah in this movie this guy's james bond and these are the adventures he goes like what does it matter yeah and who it matters to is a bunch of people trying to make money writing listicles <laughs> on the internet. Yeah, only. yeah. We talked about this <clears throat> in uh, briefly when we covered Fury Road and, and other Mad Max movies. We were like, "This is just more. This is more interesting to me as a legend. Like yeah. making this literal yeah. is actually a way to kill it." So, on that note, let's 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 move along. Um, I will say that Errol Flynn and Kevin Costner are supposed to be the same Rob. <laughs> <laughs> um i i just i i find the fact that this is leone going towards um a more sentimental uh western yeah really fascinating because like so many like i was saying so many of the spaghetti westerns that i've been watching are n- 
they are they are just they're they're sarcastic and they're they're really um uh irreverent mm-hmm. um and they're really like uh cynical and biting and acidic and like i like that about them because they feel more alive and like they feel more honest than a lot of like the classic westerns that i had pushed on me as a kid because those classic westerns are all all living off of a lie and uh the spaghetti westerns feel like they're they're either denying that that lie or they're saying yeah it's a lie let's have some fun with the lie and and uh this this movie takes place in this immoral amoral brutal world where speechifying gets you shot um like with the bathtub scene yeah. where this guy delivers well, a- that bathtub scene is so goddamn good it also though I mean, as long as a lot of stuff is dubbed here, I would love to make a dub version where he walks in and goes, I didn't kill my wife. <laughs> you might think because I've got one arm. I've got I one arm. Wife. I didn't kill my you wife. might think that. And then, and then Tuco's like, I don't care. But like, <laughs> I realize that's like the only line Tommy Lee Jones has ever put that much spice on in his life, so I couldn't do a can do a tuco version where it's a little too loud yeah um uh tuco would definitely uh have also shot this guy like i don't know what your wife is um but there's no heroes in this universe um blood is spilled over like a random bridge or like a pot of money and leone gets like all sentimental and humanist here towards the end of the movie in a way that he's like never done before and like um there's this whole revenge plot and for a few dollars more which you know is 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 somewhat approaching that but they literally they don't ever let you dwell in that they never let that motivate you find out in the last 10 minutes that it's a revenge plot right that's how much he doesn't care like he that's actually like a really good plot motivator like yeah i want to kill this monster because this monster destroyed my life right <laughs> um and then, um, you know, like I said, uh, Joe Dash Blondie, you know, no name. He's he's a little sad to see the Baxters just get slaughtered in Fistful of Dollars. Mm-hmm. But like, that's just him being like, I mean, he also could be just as sad that his plan went awry, right? Um, yeah. And uh, Once Upon a Time in America and Ducky Sucker, um, sorry, and Once Upon a Time in the West are all far more sentimental and mournful films, yeah, and they're. Yeah. The, 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 the Leone is taking his his deconstruction of genres that he loves, the gangster picture as well as the western, like so much further um, after this. And this is sort of like a hint of where he's going in his career. And like I would say, those movies are more ambitious. They're bigger. They're more unruly. Um, they're not as fun to watch because they are so so you know sad and sentimental. Um, but they they're they're going in just like a completely different direction as as leone gets older and i feel like the the final climax of this movie uh really it's almost like he's saying like we need to kill some of these i need to kill some of the these these characters i need to kill some of these archetypes so i can go on and find something else i need to I need to keep moving and he can never quite put those archetypes down because he grew up with the gangster picture. He grew up with the Western hero and he, he could never quite, could never like quite let go of him. And then his next few movies are about shitty men being depressed and sad. <laughs> well, it is kind of crazy that he made Westerns after this, right? Yeah. The whole, the whole final scene, the final shootout feels like, like fucking, you know, something like from Amadeus, like this is what they're going to remember me by like type type shit like the idea that he's like all right well 
Let's get those cowboy hats out out of storage the next year. Why not? <laughs> Let's do some like it just feels like a it really does feel like a culmination. It feels like something bigger than life itself. Like the way that they're, you know, we've seen that same face off take place now in two movies that Leone has like re uh, reinvented. He didn't invent the spaghetti western, but he almost immediately reinvented it into something different that everyone started copying from and like you know in the first in the first one of these you have uh him and just like five guys you know it's one-on-one not like a circle not a lot of pomp and circumstance actually the opposite of pomp and circumstance where he kills all the henchmen and then you know gives gives a good one-liner uh and kills our villain and the second one you know uh for a few dollars more a lot of pomp and circumstance right but Clint Eastwood is a, is a uh, Manco is a, is a bystander, right? Like he's sort of a referee to say, this is, this is, uh, this is your, your moment to kill the villain. If not, I will be killing the villain and then I'm going to be taking right. all the money. And this is the one where he's orchestrated the whole thing, right? He is the, he is, he, as someone who's been a little more passive in, in the movie than Tuco and Angel Eyes, it seemingly, um, he's put this all together in a way where essentially he cannot lose. Like he could die, but he can't lose yeah. at the end of this. And it and it, it dwells on that um, for so long, and it just feels like I think it's I think it's rare that a movie lets you know how monumental a moment feels without it usually coming across as eye rolling yeah. right like when we talk about like oscar oscar bait movies <laughs> even even ones that where oscar takes the bait and rewards it part of the reason that i think a lot of people they don't last long is because it's like oh wow your iconic moment that you're calling attention to as an iconic moment uh sucks or yeah. the fact that you're calling so much attention to it ruins it and this is a moment where I mean, you Leone could have put a flashing neon sign that said, this is the big shit about to happen, <laughs> and it wouldn't have diminished the moment because it's so it's so good. And it is a weird culmination of, a, again, a nonlinear trilogy. It is a culmination of both this movie, which is a three-hour epic, but also like of everything he was doing with Clint Eastwood for, from his perspective, the last three years. I think to that, it's also... Why I think it's it's so unique in his filmography and in westerns as a whole, it's kind of like the exact like balance of what he would do after this versus what he did before. Like it's got all the kind of gnarly pulp of the first two films in there, while still also having a lot of the more uh, kind of humanist uh you know sorrow of, of yeah of of the of the next uh well i say of the next three i mean duck you sucker is i think also still pretty pulpy and fun like it's got a lot of like kind of of the verve of this movie in it and it but it also takes the other stuff a lot further um then oh than yeah this, the this. end is so sad yeah and like at, when the more you find out about the characters it's sad yeah. like but yeah. but this is so well balanced between those two tones and and that allows it to do a lot of things it allows it to be like 
zany humor at times. It allows it to be like the sorrow of war, you know, story. It allows it to, uh, you know, look at the the toll of... Now is as good a time as any to mention it. One thing I noticed this time, really paying attention to what scenes were in this cut uh, that got cut from the from the original American version, they're almost all uh, stuff that fleshes out the war the war as as a, as a setting and a scenery. And I think that's a real disservice to the original cut, which is actually the first cut I saw. But like this the the original cut of this movie which is this is as close as we can probably get and if this isn't it is so focused on the fact that this is all taking place with a horrific war going on in the background like almost all the scenes that were cut in some way reinforce that the only one that i can think of that really doesn't is where tuco goes and rounds up his buddies and and like that there's this like kind of like you know r- violent uh road comedy going on at the same time as a war movie is is this amazing like balancing act that i i just like i don't really see it that i don't see any other movies that really even attempt something like that Unless they're really, unless they're doing what this, you know, doing this movie, you know what I mean? Like Three Kings is another example, the uh, the David O. Russell movie. But Three Kings is very clearly trying to be this kind of movie. Like it's if there if if he wasn't influenced by the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, then I think he's lying. <laughs> like <laughs> I mean that it's very clearly trying out the same kind of thing, and and that's like. That's such a fascinating... Oh, you know another one? Uh, Bullet in the Head, the John Woo movie. Um, oh, yeah. Also another one that really, like... But it, even it goes into more, you know, sentimental territory towards the end. But it's also about these kind of guys trying to pull some shit while a war is going on around them. Um, but, like, that balancing act between the pulp and the seriousness, uh, you know, the humor and the sorrow, it's all so, like compelling that he's able to pull it off without it ever it never feels awkward it never feels forced it nothing ever feels like perfunctory you know what i mean everything is there because it needs to be there and because he wants it to be there and because it re, you know it it strengthens what else is there and it's that kind of you know i think it's the kind of thing you really only see in a certain kind of genre movie that kind of weird tonal shifts because serious movies, you know, I'm saying that with air quotes, don't really care to be, you know, they don't really care about the other stuff. Whereas a genre movie has kind of expectations, right? We, we know we're going into it expecting the thrills and some comedy, but the directors who are also interested in doing more, like typically are also going to deliver on those things. So when, when they do deliver more, it's really something you don't see in any other kind of movie. And this is just maybe the best example of that. I think of any film I can think of. Yeah. I think you're, God, you are, you are a hundred percent right because it is it. There's so much of this that just feels impossible. (laughs) Like I actually feel comfortable saying that I don't think there can be a better Western. And that's, 
you know, I, I don't feel that about many genres, yeah. right? Like, I just, I don't know how you could hit everything so well. Put up the West as this, like, mythical place that is so beautiful and so lonely and so austere that you want to spend time in, while also, like, just show how the American myth of the of the West is this wide-open thing is just a bunch of violent people doing violent things and that can be like sanctioned government sanctioned violence like we see in the civil war or just uh the the violence of people trying to survive or live without a safety net like even the 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 thing that's so good about this movie i think even compared to like fistful of dollars like fistful of dollars is a movie about like you can see where money would have a purpose right like uh, yeah. For a few dollars more, too. Like, they're trying to rob a bank. They go hide out in this town. Um, you could see where, like, oh, one of those cool hideout towns that you go to. And, like, they're drinking at the bar. And there, there's a sense that money has purpose. This is maybe the the best um, underlining of, like, who the fuck cares if they have $200,000? Like, uh, and that's, like, extremely underlined by Tuco at the end with his four bags of gold that he has, like, what the fuck is he going to do with that? But even as, like, Blondie and Tuco are making $2,000 and $3,000, which, you know, is a lot yeah. for the 1860s, um, like, what does it matter? Where are they going to go? To this town with five buildings that, like, just seems desolate and broken apart by the rest of the violence that's occurring there? Like, there, there's not there's not a vision of these people on a beach somewhere s- sipping margaritas. Yeah. yeah, no one has talked about what they're going to do with the money, even though it's gold. Yeah. You know, gold will, gold will work in Mexico, gold will work in Canada. You know, they could leave the country, but no one's saying that. Yeah, yeah, we're like in in fistful of dollars. Like, there's a civil like that. We we kind of joked about how small the town is, and that it's not a, not a big enough town for a blood feud. But it is a big enough town, and with it with like a bar and a you know families and you know uh, uh, you know children and stuff like that that you could conceivably settle down with if that was something that you're interested in. We see like the expanse of the army and the different you know stuff that's going on there. Like this, what are you gonna do with the money? Yeah, they don't even seem is, to care, is... right? Like they do not seem to oh, care. Yeah. Tuco doesn't need money to get a gun, <laughs> right? Like what what do the, what do they need anything yeah. for? They're not looking for anything. It's a very apocalyptic like landscape, like. I mean, I mean that like literally, like every every yeah. every piece of civilization we see in this is crumbling and falling apart. Like it's only going to get. There worse doesn't seem to be. Like, yeah. General Sherman has yet to march across the south. <laughs> right. Right. There doesn't seem to be any solid infrastructure or actual like you know society to which like mo- yeah. money would allow them to integrate into. Like it almost it's it seems very much like it's just it's it's just you know pure biological instinct for them to get to get the money because that's just what you do. Well, and even like Tuco who like if if anyone had a motivation for getting the money, Tuco would have shared it, right? Like he he shares so much, he shares <laughs> fake family history, he shares like, you know, about how his friends are so important yeah. to him. At no point is the lack of money for for Tuco an impediment. No, and at no point <laughs> does Tuco share what he's going to do with the money when he gets it. And I think if anything, that's just like, oh, existence can be its own circle where getting money is. It's almost like in a you know to put a very modern spin on it. It's like beating a video game. Like yeah. what does it get you? Nothing. I beat it. But like. <laughs> 
it's it's a way to to, to in the desolate especially in quarantine or stuff like that like in the in the uh feeling of the universe that is meaningless uh it's it's a way to kill the time yeah it's a it's a pride game for them yeah. like they're like i've started this journey i need to beat these other two bastards yeah i think that's a big factor is that like getting the money is less about having it and more about the other guys not having it or at the very least not having all of it like they seem more that they seem willing for most of the time to split it but also like if there's any chance that they're not going to get it, they don't want any, they don't, they, you know, like <laughs> if at any point, yeah. yeah, like at no point does Tuco consider like, he'd rather they both die <laughs> than, 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 you know what I mean? Like then split the money. Like th- it's very much of, I get it because that keeps them from getting it. And, and, and uh, who knows what I'm going to do with it after that, but yeah, it's, it's a game, right? It's, it's yeah. as much about, it's, it's, it's the game. It's, it's what as much you do. about <laughs> your, your pride as it is about actually getting something that you need. Cause like these guys, these, if these guys are hungry, they, they go steal a piece of bread, right? right? If these guys, if these guys want to get drunk, they just go drink at the bar and they don't pay their tab. If these guys want, you know, like to really live it up. They just go pick up a bounty and they're fast enough yeah. on their guns. It doesn't really matter. Like these guys are these guys are not starving. Do, do you even see a criminals. scene in the bar where they put like there's nothing where money like they don't stay in hotels really. <laughs> like there's there's nothing where money comes into play. And also I think I think that's part of why. <laughs> when Tuco they, stays in the bath, it's it's a bombed out town. <laughs> yeah, I, it's where no one where it's abandoned. Saying. Yeah. I mean <laughs> But that's exactly right. Like, and I also think that that is why they use how much money they use, right? Like, um, in I think uh, uh, for a few dollars more, they they when they rob that bank, I think it's something like twenty five thousand dollars, right? That they're gonna split between all those because that's a fucking shit ton of money, yeah. right? This is two hundred thousand. That's the equivalent of six million dollars <laughs> that they they are stealing, and no one has any idea or plans. Like the whole part of hiding out in that town and for a few dollars more is like this is too much money to just go around and spend no one gives a shit in this movie it's like it's like oh that's a higher score this is fucking um the king of kong for these people just full of quarters like who can get the highest score in donkey by hook and by crook how do you come out on top yeah by well by scaling it so absurdly high it, it it becomes less about it really like it pushes it more into that realm of myth where this isn't really like yeah this isn't a, a story about characters try about specific characters trying to get a specific amount of money. This is a story about people trying to get money in the most yeah. Ca- yeah. capitalized and- nouns broad sense possible. Like this is about the pursuit of money and the you know and the and the fall of civilization and the the abandonment of uh you know of morals in a in wartime and what well, put it making the money well, such an absurd amount that really doesn't ever seem to have any practical value i think is just one of the you know i i, I had a friend once who who was like had a hard time getting into spaghetti westerns and he's like, I don't, I, I don't get it. And I'm like, here's what you need to do, because he was like, his, he was big into musical theater. And I said, you need to think of this like an opera, but instead of singing, they shoot, <laughs> because because literally that's what this is. Like 
this this is an opera. This is heightened. This is like everything is bigger than it is. And especially this movie more than any other one, any other spaghetti western. Like there are the gritty, grimy, you know, down and dirty spaghetti westerns, but this is like really operating on its own wavelength and that is like this is a specific story and it's also like a a a an archetype you know what i mean uh yeah it's, it's so true and it's like it, the archetype has to has to kind of reset the status quo too because yeah. like blondie theoretically ended the last movie super fucking rich he had yeah all the bank money plus all the corpses of all the bad guys loaded up in his cart. He theoretically ended that movie with like forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars, something like Technically that. Technically exactly twenty seven thousand dollars, which is uh well let me see. It is uh nine ten it's four. Didn't he get the bank money plus all the bodies of the, the bodies? Yep. Oh I guess. Yeah, I guess he did. I've, and so yeah, so it's the equivalent of like a million dollars. Yeah. So but he, but that's he the ended thing, the like, last movie they're... like they needed to reset the status quo. Like there's a reason like there there's there's something more interesting about our heroes hunting for something than being on top. Like there's there's something more interesting about like our uh Mad Max uh, Mad Max, uh, you, you know, can't be king of the orphans at the end of Thunderdome. He can't be uh, king of the marauders at the end of, of Road Warrior. Uh, he can't be king of, uh, I don't know, a bunch of pale bald guys at the end of Fury Road. Um, he he kind of needs to be reset back to the status quo every time so you can keep going on adventures. And like the thing I said at the beginning of the month was like, this is this is uh you know joe's adventure number 100 out of a thousand and i don't know if there'll ever be an adventure that ends with him getting shot but this is this is just like another another clip along the road but to the to that point like even if you forget those other movies like their little scam they're pulling for three thousand dollars is the equivalent of fifty thousand dollars each time Right. Like, uh, again, they're not buying houses and mansions or like horses every single time they do that. And and but again, he's trying to run up the score. His interest is not that he got money. Yeah. Uh, his interest is that. Yeah, it seems like we've topped out at three thousand dollars here. What's he going to so, do? Retire? What are you, yeah, you going to do? Yeah, he's he's going to find other ways to do the money again. Like. Money, there's never been more money in one of these movies of Leone. And there's never seemed like there's less interest in anything that the money could bring. Yeah. But yeah, to your point, Zach, like, it's a world, it's post-apocalyptic. Like, I guess it's pre-apocalyptic, but it's apocalyptic. Yeah. In that, like, you don't need money if you have a gun or a code that puts you beyond the uh, morality of the world that you inhabit, right? So that's why I actually, like, I'm really, like, besides the money they get for bounties, I can't think of an instance in this movie where someone spends money. Yeah. (laughs) I'm, like, racking my brain. I'm, like, you know, in every other one of these movies, someone goes to a bar and puts down money for a, a drink or a horse or a gun. I don't think money is ever spent in a, this entire movie. Honestly, they spend so little of the movie in anything resembling like civilization that like it, it, it I don't I can't even think of a chance they would have had like that can't seem accidental, right? Like, no, of it's course a 3-hour western where where money is only gained and never spent. Yeah. And in which like Every time they are in a place that you could call, like, civilized, it's either destroyed by the end of the scene 
either it's destroyed by the end of the scene or Tuco destroys it. You know, <laughs> like, you know what this reminds me of? It's when you play an RPG game and you keep getting and there's nowhere potions. to spend the money. Like every <laughs> oh, Fallout yeah. game, you're like, I'm just gathering up money, gathering up money, and at the end of the game, they're like, you won. Here's two hundred thousand bottle caps. Go spend. <laughs> go crazy, and then you're like, that's how that's how Red Dead Two was. Like, there's <laughs> money everywhere. That you never are are in need of money in that game, and so like it's it's weird. The weird like ultra realism in some things is completely negated by the fact that you are like an old west millionaire by like chapter two. It's like wait, I, here, I'm glad you brought that up because I think <laughs> if there's one thing that YouTubers and redditors have agreed on is that thank God for this movie. Because without this movie, it would not have influenced the actual greatest spaghetti western of all time, which is, of course, the Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes. laughs> can I, can I, so speaking of money, like, <clears throat> it's so, it's so much more about the journey because the ecstasy of gold sequence where Tuco is running around the, the cemetery and they oh, play yeah. Morricone's uh, ecstasy of gold, which is like one of the most pretty compositions. I've listened to a lot of Morricone's scores. Yeah. Um, Morricone's Scoricone's. And they, yeah, every time I listen to one of his uh, Scoricone's, I'm like Morricone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're, we've come full circle. They, uh, I've listened to a lot of them and like ecstasy of gold. The reason it's, it's, it's in this movie is like, it's it's fucking gorgeous, um, and this is this is a little bit unique. Um, Leone for the past the previous two movies, he saw he watched the movie, he composed his score, then he you know uh, during the editing he got his score attached. Not not uncommon. Um, yeah. For this movie, he got pieces of the score done beforehand, and yeah. Le- Leone would play it on set during certain sequences. There's a little bit of disagreement about whether or not that happened during the scene or not, but like you know, it's 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 an apocryphal story, but it's still an accurate one. Like Leone loved yeah. these scores so much, and he loved the music, and like he, he he one of the things he did when he signed up for Fistful of Dollars, he really did not want to have this these um bland orchestral store scores that are so often attached to westerns yeah. he wanted to have his own thing and so ennio morricone got brought on because he was working on a thing called like a shootout at red sands i think it was called um and it's like a western that morricone hated making but he found a sort of kindred dash you know rival or you know someone to butt heads with in in, yeah. um, in, in leone and um it, it, there's there's so much majesty in this score at at, at like when it wants to be gorgeous and beautiful and orchestral, like Ecstasy of Gold, it absolutely nails it. And when it wants to be cool and revolutionary and have like, like something th- that I didn't think about until I read a uh, music scholar talk about is like, there's electric guitar in the score. Yeah. Like that oh, electric like, guitar like, in a period piece. Yeah. There's like surf rock influences. There's like so many out of the, out of nowhere elements to the music that like you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily know to, that they're there. I mean, like consciously, if you didn't really know what you're looking for, but like they really create this very unique, like, I mean, there's a reason he scored almost all of the most notable spaghetti Westerns is because his score for these three films was just so monumental and so like defining that even the ones he didn't score, are, are feel, so, feels like he scored. Oh, the, yes. Yeah, they, they, people are trying to sound like him. Like, like really. I mean, which is also why, like, I don't 
I think that goes for these movies as a whole, right? Like I Oh yeah. We we've just watched Peter and I both watched probably like ten other spaghetti westerns and we we'll probably watch a few more before yeah. we record Once Upon a Time in the West and like I've never seen uh, I'm I'm sure there's examples of this like I guess we did mention Tarantino like I don't know action cinema indie cinema in the 90s but like yeah. I even like is is there a director with three movies uh and then you know Morricone being a big part of that with the score and all the other things that just totally changed everything like like the it, only the only other thing I the only other example of like a director's or you know that like or you know a set of creatives I should probably say having such an influence that like the entire genre kind of feels in some way like like working with what the the rules that they made and the tools that they're you know used would be like kaiju movies all kind of yeah. in some way going back to Godzilla like well but even then you got King Kong and the, yeah. the stop motion stuff like pre Godzilla like I get you have other westerns before this but it does feel like even Clint Eastwood and who is like one of the few people who made good westerns post the spaghetti western era yeah he i mean even though he had his clash with leone he was never shy about being like oh yeah i'm just making everything i learned about directing these movies is from is from having to like not be able to leave to go to my trailer while i was making yeah. leone movies and learning learning how to direct but on top of that like just at the time too this wasn't one of those things where like people looked back and were influenced by him yeah. like, we've talked about Corbucci and stuff like that everyone went oh I'll just make that what this guy's doing yeah. I'm just gonna make like there's uh, I, I remember we, we've talked about this a couple of times there's there's 500 uh, spaghetti westerns right and about 75 have ever been released into the United States yeah um, so so Zach your theoretically your collection could grow quite oh, a bit yeah. if you ever uh, move to Italy. <laughs> And and raid whatever their DVD collections look like, but you're you're talking about an entire genre that like was already already existed that pivoted immediately on the dime of oh did you guys see a fistful of dollars let's just do that <laughs> yeah. let's just only do that like there were other great directors who brought a lot to the genre post fistful of dollars but they all in some way are are a reaction to one of these three films of yeah. the Dollars trilogy in some way. In, in real time, right? Like, yeah. Leone's making Good, the Bad, and the Ugly in 67, and you already have Django, which is like, let's do let's do Fistful. Like, these are yeah. happening as Leone's still making the movies. Yeah. It was an entire industry that went, never mind, let's just do this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean... I, I, don't, I don't think there's an example of that. Yeah, not, not, not really. Yeah, it's, that is that is the hardest. I think the hardest thing to watch going from um, this movie to other westerns is like, I'm fine with the less go- the less uh, you know gorgeous, expansive camera. I'm fine with the less like snappy, just in the moment editing and the clo- the awesome close ups. Like I can get over. I, I'm fine that. with not people not knowing how to die. <laughs> people Zach, you weren't here, but one of, one of one of the things that we figured out very early that Leone does better is that in Leone, when someone gets shot and they're like gonna die, which is most of the people who get shot in Leone <laughs> movies, they hit the ground like fucking gravity is sucking them into a black <laughs> hole. And in every other western, they put a little like a little bit of spice on that taco, like oh, oh yeah. <laughs> 
Like, yeah, there's Leone no- understands, like, a bullet means you're out. That was, you know, to- that's that's one of the, uh, that's one of the things I think uh, Peckinpah got from from the Leone films. Was that, like, you, you when people get shot, they get shot. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's none of this dancing around. We don't like, need a death scene. Ah, yeah. 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 So they, people boom, are like, you're dead. <laughs> people are, yeah, people are, are, are spewing blood on their way down. And, like, the thing that I, I, I yeah, so, yes, good deaths. Um, but also just the score. The score is the thing that bugs me when I'm watching other spaghetti westerns where, where I'm not always, but sometimes I'm like, oh man, uh, Morricone would have really put a little bit more spice in this, wouldn't he? <laughs> it's a little, it's a little drab. It's what yeah. kills me about American westerns because uh, I was going to say is uh, they can be very conservative in how they're scored, and it's like, yeah, the pretty song while they're lamenting about you know a lost romance <laughs> or a lost child is great, but like they they want to do epic, they would want to do exciting. It just sounds like it's like dorky, d- dorky, uh, like fucking like John Philip Sousa marches. Yeah. Yeah, or like we did what Rio Bravo last year. Like, like let's get let's get a guy in here to sing a couple ballads. Like, why, why not? Like, it's kind of like when when you watch enough of those in the cast. I know when you watch enough of those movies, you totally get the Three Amigos like parody yeah. scene of them. Like, hey, let's just pull out a guitar and like sing a nice <laughs> little like little doggies on the trail. <laughs> um, it makes so much more sense. But yeah, like I. I mean, we could talk about so many different parts of this movie, but it, it 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 does feel like as we kind of move towards final thoughts that like I I feel comfortable saying that this is one of the best movies we'll ever do on this show, and it's one of the best movies that ever exists. And like I went and tried to find the old. I remember about five years ago, I'm like, because uh, I've I've had like an ongoing mission to watch all the sight and sound, yeah, uh, movies from from 2012 and. Um, before the 2022 list comes out, and I'm definitely not going to get there. Uh, but uh, Good, the Bad, the Ugly, by the way, is not on that list. Once Upon a Time in the West is. Uh, Rio Bravo is, for that matter. Uh, but but this movie is not. And, you know, that, that, that ballot that I kind of, like, created in my head included stuff like It's a Wonderful Life, which I think is the other, like, uh, best movie we've done. It's a, a different type of best movie, I think, and like a empathy machine, Roger Ebert yeah. uh, type type thing. But I do think that like this is one of the best movies that we could possibly do because it's not just the best western um, that I think can ever exist. I just it gets something perfect about what action movies were after this. And I know we've mentioned that a little bit with the kineticism of the way that like Leone does gunfights and stuff like that. But there's been a lot of discussion right now. And I hate wading into this with this movie about like Zack Snyder's like justice league and stuff like that. And Zack Snyder's justice league or like action movies, the last 20 years be damn one thing that like that we've gone away from as like a culture when it comes to action scenes. And part of this is just budget and special effects and stuff like that is like, we want you to sit with all the moments in an action scene. Zack Snyder's a really good poster boy for that because he loves his slow motion. And so, like, I'm going to see this person do this flip. And you're going to get a, get a, all the choreography and the violence of the moment is going to be, like, slowed down. And you're going to be forced to reckon with it. And then you watch, like, something like that. And you see this. And it's like, you know... 
the violence of like life being blinked out in a second, the way that we see like in the opening scene with angel eyes, yeah, or the way that like no violence punctuated by sudden violence in the final shootout is a a, a way that that action really uh, has been presented in like before the the, the modern like CGI uh, uh, low frame rate era. And and I think it's something that we're missing. Like these movies felt like adrenaline. They felt getting to watch people look at each other and close ups on their eyes for five minutes felt more kinetic than anything I've seen in a Marvel or a DC movie. And those are two things that for the most part I like, but it's like you know how um more impressive, like not to Monday morning, uh, Monday morning quarterback these movies, but like how much more impressive would it be if you're watching one of these superhero movies and like, you know, hey, instead of Superman flying around for 30 minutes in the movie and you get bored with the special effects, sudden outbursts of of superpowers to to go, oh, holy shit. <laughs> this guy can do a lot of things very quickly and stuff like that. And all those things that just feel like Leone perfected in the 60s that we uh have slowly moved away from even in even in people that cite them as influence like a Tarantino who was like let's do long slow motion violent gunfights for 20 minutes it's like yeah is that more effective than someone just a 3 hour build up to a to a 5 second bullet yeah 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 i i just genre it feels like genre fiction never quite elegantly um fit this this uh I would say genre fiction never quite uh, hit these kind of highs uh, on this level, right? Like, there's movies with more visceral violence and, like, make me feel more of, like, the the -the in-the-moment punches. But, like, something that feels like it's taking film to this, like, transcendent level. Like, not that it's film bringing in other influences, right? Like, what I I love about John Wick is it gives you, like, some of the thrills of watching, like, a a fight. Like a UFC fight or whatever. Um but like without actually having to deal with all the bullshit of, of those those particular arenas, like I really don't want to watch UFC fights or boxing. Um, it gives you some of that, but within like a story structure, and you know it's also fake and it's not a bunch of um, racists. Um, but uh, <laughs> wait, hey, hold on. Some of them are just misogynist. Yeah, some of them are just misogynist. Um, but the with this, it feels like with Good Man the Ugly, it feels like Leone was using genre to catapult himself and transcend himself to something higher and make like high art, um, which I, I don't I don't think is happening with mainstream genre movies at all. Um, I, I yeah I. I, yeah, I don't want to sound like um, I'm not saying it's not saying a... I don't find action movies amazing. No. But I mean there is something to just recognize that it's a 3 hour build up to to a 5 second payoff. Like I know that's some gross simplification, but it's true. And it and it works because of how impactful those moments of violence or even just him putting the pillow on um that guy's face, right? And like blowing his brains out. Like it's it's it doesn't dwell on it. You don't see blood pour out of the pillow forever. He doesn't like struggle under the pillow for a long time. There's not like a slow motion of him realizing that that he's about to die and going for his gun while Van Cleef quickly tries to position the pillow. Like all the things that I think you would have if you made that 
not just today, but in the last 30 years, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't mean that you can't have, I don't want to say bloat is like a, this is a bloated movie because it's not, but like, it's not like you can't still have those action moments in a, in a longer, um, format. I think, um, so there's all kinds of movies and I think people go to movies for a lot of different things. Yeah. It like, so for example, when I go to see Avengers, I'm not primarily there for it as a movie. Maybe so it would be a good way to sp- say it. Yeah, it's which, like an experience. Which is, which is not to say it's not good as a movie, but like I've got other concerns when I see Avengers or uh, you know Aquaman or any of these, any of these, uh, you know, or even John Wick. I've got other or Mission con- Impossible. Or Mission yeah. Impossible. I've got other concerns there beyond I want to see great cinema. I and you know if I if when I see Avengers, I want to see you know comic books that I love come to life on screen. Yeah, um, I'm looking for a lot of the same thrills I get from the comics. When I see John Wick, there's a lot. You know, I'm looking for a certain thing, and I think I think that's fine because I mean it's just how you know cinema is always going to be and how art in general is always going to be because you get audiences that way right you get audiences by at least giving them something of what they're looking for externally external to the medium but leone is a kind of director who really pretty much working in like the realm of like pure cinema a lot of the times like he's really like the, uh, I don't know. I mean, the good, the bad, and the ugly does a lot of things, but at every point in time, really, I think. I, I mean, the, I think the primary concern, at times, the only concern Leone seems to have is just purely cinematic, and it and it accomplishes every single thing it does through, you know, cinematic tools, and I. I, I mean I I don't know how to I don't know if I'm using maybe specific enough language there because you know, but like, at all the time at any given moment in this, it's score and camera placement and music just working in sync to deliver every single moment of you know of this film, in a way that you couldn't really you couldn't capture any piece of this film in another medium it wouldn't work like if you turn this into a comic you would not have anything close to the same experiences whereas i could read avengers endgame in comic form and get most of the same experience right yeah i could i could i could could, uh you know i I mean there are there are there are moments of course that are, are are unique to the film but i could get most of avengers endgame through uh, comic book, or I could get most of Aquaman through the co- through a comic book version, or I could get you know. Uh, I'm trying to think of another good. I haven't seen any movies this year. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen three movies, but like I couldn't get a single moment of you couldn't. No matter how, no matter what medium you tried to trans translate this into, you wouldn't even have a fraction of the experience yeah. because there's just never a time. When he isn't completely using every tool at his disposal to to make this into pure cinema, and that's just something 
That's something you don't see often, and I don't. I don't even want to say in genre cinema. That's something you don't see often. Like, I mean, you don't see that often in art house cinema. <laughs> like, I mean, honestly, like, really, that's that's like, that's a rarity across the board. Like, and and that he did it in what was you know not just genre cinema but really pulpy genre cinema. Just yeah. is is this kind of amazing feat that like we have this this filmmaker who you know there's there are others I could think of who I could put in that category like a like a Lau Kar Long or, or or even a Jackie Chan uh, who are you know working in in a in genre cinema but also really doing just purely pure cinema at the same time um, but it's just so rare and. And I, and I think even just if you if you if you expand your scope to cinema as a whole, there's still really not much else to compare him to. Yeah, I I think I think that's a perfect summation of of this movie and like this trilogy too. And like, you know, to 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 kind of bring it full circle with three of us on each corner um, is uh, of course the famous uh, circle corners. Um, but when I first watched this movie, I was like, Westerns are bad. And this movie immediately dissuaded me from that notion. And now, having watched both the Leone movies so close to this and a bunch of other spaghetti Westerns, I'm like, is this movie as good as I remember it? Right? Yeah. Like, in, in a vacuum, opening my eyes to a genre, opening my eyes to a style, uh, opening my eyes to a director like is surrounded by 12 13 14 other that are considered like the best in the genre is it going to stand out that much from the pack i can answer with an emphatic absolutely like this this movie uh wowed me in just being able to stand up from some pretty both high expectations i had for it and high movies and great movies that I was comparing it to in such short order. And it still was able to awe me. Mm -hmm. And um, I do hope that, you know, one of the things about Peter and I doing a month like this that we've talked about is like, man, which is why, like, I read some books and I think we've done more yeah. research than normal. And we've, we've watched other movies. Like, this is this is not fucking, like, uh, Hunt for the Wilder People or something like that, which is a movie that Peter and I love. But we don't feel the onus to or the the expectations to do it justice, right? We're going to talk about what we like and we're going yeah. to hope people that didn't see it see it. Uh, one of the reasons we've shied away from the best of the best type movies in the past is because we don't want to feel like we have to do something justice. And I, I, I feel like this one was somewhat easy to like, I, I didn't feel the weight of this movie because I could talk about this for three yeah. more hours and talk about every single scene because it's a movie that inspires people to become cinephiles and genre fans yeah. and Western fans. Absolutely. This is a gateway drug. Uh, Zach, thank you so much for coming on. I, I couldn't have imagined anyone else for, for an episode like this. Um, and as you've, you've said, as we've provided you our list of movies all the way through September... I'm not interested in any of this, but I will come on at some point in the future. In the meantime, what do you have to promote? Uh, I don't have anything to promote right now. Uh, you got a cute dog, maybe There's like some pandemic. dog pictures. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I have dog pictures, but I don't post them anywhere. Yeah. So, okay. So 
you can't find Zach anywhere. I'm on Twitter. Do not try. Uh, but I don't tweet very often. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so try to find him. Yeah. He's uh You can't. Can you just can you describe can you describe yourself physically? So if people see you in New York walking dogs, they'll average say, Hi. height, a beard, long hair, you know. A white guy with a beard in New York? <laughs> average no, everything. Most people in New York are either shorter or taller than the average person. So I yeah. think if you can lock into what that means, yeah. I think you'll be in good shape. With that, uh we're going to uh, next week we're going to wrap up this month uh with Once Upon a Time in the West, the the movie that the sight and sound those pompous European assholes decided <laughs> to say is the best Leone movie uh and that we also love. <laughs> Quite a bit. Right? Oh, it's so good. Peter, where, where are you feeling right now? You, you I think you, you were at Once Upon a Time in the West being the best, right? Yeah, yeah. Though, like, uh, I've seen Good, Bad, and the Ugly more times. Um, is your is your confidence shaken? Uh, no, no. Oh, okay. I, I, uh, I was going to say, we'll, we'll get into it next week, but I think uh, I think good, uh, that Once Upon a Time in the West still is, like, just a, a, a rousing movie for me. Oh, yeah. Like, we'll, we're we'll debating, like... Yeah, best best of the best. Yeah, they're also uh, very different movies in certain ways, and it's going to be fun to talk about. So uh, looking forward to that. Uh, Zach, thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome. You've been great. It's kind yes. of a pun on your last name. <laughs> My last name means great in Dutch. Yeah, I... Like, that's the, 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 the meaning of it. Well, then you we have had been a Groton time. Groton. Yeah, it's been Groton. Good night. Good night. Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch.
If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. We truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, We really do appreciate you. Uh, With kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. (laughs) Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>